So researchers at Caltech recently announced that they used neutrinos to build robots. Stop. They're not functioning yet. They can't program them yet, so, but they've built them into certain shapes, which is the first time. And they're 20. Those are just blocks, Caleb. They're, they're t- I know, but they're 20 nanometers long, and they're in shapes that were prescribed and built by a blueprint. <laughs> Those are no-bots. Okay. Boom. I know people want to make their own Legos, but, like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. they're on Hey, look, Legos. this is either the start of we can finally inject nanobots into Ray Kurzweil's soul, shut the fuck up about immortality, and Fair. we can be done with that, Fair. or... We're all eaten in a gray goose scenario, in which case I'm willing to toast either. Either to Ray K shutting the hell up for once Ray K. or to the gray goose scenario, because talk about a cooler way to end the world. I mean, like, we thought it was going to be atomic fire for a while, uh, but like eaten by nanobots? You're forgetting the third option, which is Metal Gear Revengeance, where everyone uses nanomachines to become awesome sword fighters. You did forget that. Yeah. How dare I'll cheers you? to that as well. <laughs> to, any, to any possibility at this point with tiny little robots. Okay, Nanomachines, son. These are aluminum bottles, so clank. Hey, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix Six, where we have six beers and six conversations. And if you're hearing this raw, masculine energy just shooting at you over the airwaves, you're listening to a different podcast, because that's not us. We're, we're kind of weedy. And, we do not do that. Yeah, we're, we're okay at best. So, uh, But we will have six beers. We will rate them. And we will talk about six things unrelated to beer, as is our want. But first, we need a rating system. Our rating system is on a five-point scale to make things as confusing as possible. It also cycles with every single episode. I've chosen this one, and uh, it came to me today in a, in a fit of inspiration, uh, but gym class activities. Love this. I disagree with the order a little bit. <clears throat> okay. But like, I'm ready, I'm ready to throw down on some of this, so jump in there. All right. So a number one, a beer that is traumatic. Uh, that requires new laws to be written, uh, that is a shorthand for childhood regret and okay. trauma. You see therapists about Dodgeball. It. Amen. Uh, if a beer is a number, if it's a one beer, it is, uh, you, you cringe when you hear about it. And guess what? If, if it's not a dodgeball for you and dodgeball is like a five for you, you are the problem. Right. You are the right. aggressor. You're, you're what we have nightmares You're about. why we're giving it a one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're one of those people. Distinct uh, memory. Of- it's literally legalized stoning of children. That's right. Um, and, yeah, Disti- it's a one. Distinct memory of Chance Harper hitting me so hard <laughs> with a dodgeball that I thought I was having a heart attack. Nay, I was just hyperventilating. And we played before it was that foam shit. It was the rubber. Yeah. Like, inflated. It was a kickball. Yeah, it was a kickball just... In the broken noses, the the shattered limbs as you were diving on concrete just right. to avoid the pain. Chance Harper, though, is a baller-ass name. That's like the name of a protagonist of an airport thriller novel. Yeah, you know, yeah like, and it's the name of a bully in yeah, a yeah. elementary school. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, they're the same. Cool, Ross. Guess what? We're, in, we're enemies now, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, number two is, uh, I'm going to make it any form of dancing or aerobics, but at one point in the Missouri school system... You had to do line dancing for credit. Uh, now, how was that not the one? <laughs> okay, everyone hated it. There was no. You were not like an underclass, and it wasn't physically painful. It was just a uniform required embarrassment. Solidarity, similar with Tybo, which I also had to do. Which <laughs> no. Le- <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> we broke Ross. Yeah. Imagine a 360 pound rotund little Caleb being forced to tie bow. I or wanna, line dance. I want to take issue with the dancing one. Like, I feel like, so first off, everybody knows this. I love to dance. So, like, secondly. <laughs> so you were the one kid in class who's like, electric slide today. I was, like, I was like super into this. I was, like, I was bringing CDs to gym class. I was like, I thought today we could do it to the Space Jam soundtrack. You know what I mean? And then I was just like jumping in there on the Quad City DJs. So, I don't know. I feel like. Yoga feel like, day? This would be like anybody remember Yoga Day. This would be more like a four for me if I'm being totes honest. But I'll, I must you, have had some adventurous gym coaches, and goddamn them to hell. Yeah. As you as you embrace <laughs> oh, as you embrace my rating systems, right or wrong as they may be, I will I will allow yours. All right, a three is track with a heavy air quote around it's important. it. Because for me, track day is gym teachers hungover. Just go run around a bit, which you're running and it's outside, so. Two strikes already, it's but important. not really timing you. Also, not really supervising you. Most of the time, probably not even on the track, uh, like wandering around the football field, whatnot. So at least you have some freedom. Yeah, like, sure. at least it's what you make of it. A four is kickball. I fucking love kick. I want to. I want to say something. I'm fucking. I was good at kickball as a kid. Like I don't know if I am as an adult because I haven't kickballed in a few years. I would though if somebody wanted to kick new milestone. If someone was like Kickstarter league, hey, kickball Kickstarter league, Kickstarter kickball. Uh, <laughs> if someone was like, hey, do you want to play kickball tonight? I would be like, fuck yeah, and I would knock people out like small children <laughs> out of the way. But like I could kick a ball growing up. <laughs> yeah, like the picking the team part is a bit harrowing. The only thing that keeps it from being a five is the is the sort of Hunger Games-esque hierarchy of picking a team. But past that, it's kickball. Like, no one has super high expectations of you. It's fun. It's still strategic. Everybody's in on it. Uh, yeah, kickball. We're not of different ages, but when you were kickballing, were people calling out, like, different types of pitches, like, you know, baby bouncy or small, no, like, slow no bounce, fast no bounce? I don't think we had names. Like, I think in Blue Springs, Missouri, I think that we had, like, a pretty intricate kickball, like, like almost a, 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 an ancient Egyptian-like set of hieroglyphics to describe how we wanted our kickballs pitched to us. And it was fairly in-depth. So I, Honestly, it may have occurred, and I was just too thrilled not to be being pelted like the you know the guy who retrieves the golf balls at the driving range. Sure. Like, oh, it's the fat kid. 50 points for right. that target. I saw him dance yesterday. Yeah, exactly. It was it was awful. Ridicule right. him Be terribly. Careful. He'll tie you. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then a five for me, personally, is ping pong or badminton. Great day. Uh, yeah, it's just a great day. It's not too physically demanding. Uh, y- yeah, it's just... Uh, it's just uh, Basically, it's the equivalent of a game we would play now while drunk. That's right. Which was, you know, the, it was training right. at that point. It's, I didn't understand. I didn't know it was I was going to go pro. Right. Uh, Can I tell you what my five was going to be on this list? What is it? Juggling. Ju- what? I am a motherfucking juggler. Wait, that's a class? Oh, like, yeah. That's oh. a gym? Like, Coach Juggler today. Coach Jeff Doris from Frank... I'm sure he's listening. Franklin Smith Elementary. <laughs> circa 1990, whatever the fuck it was when I was in elementary school. That man taught juggling for weeks. And I got all the way up to bowling pins and rubber chickens. Oh. Well, I never juggled. Uh, but, but rubber chickens? Not. Really? It's tricky. You don't think it's tricky? <laughs> They're not aerodynamic. Exactly. That's yeah. the trick. They come down and go up at different speeds. Yeah. Not unlike the sexual act for some uh. people. <laughs> I don't know where any of this is gone. <laughs> anyway, a one is dodgeball. Two is any form of dancing or aerobics. Three is track with air Time quotes. Up. 
four is kickball, and five is ping pong and or badminton. Or juggling, just depending or on juggling. your, your Let, element. Sure, throw school. it in there. I'm yeah. sure it was great. Right. Okay, uh, on that note, we're going to grab some beers. We'll be back on the other side to talk about dissecting our fun and board games. Spence, what are you drinking? So we're we're about to round out our Sun King Brewery offerings, which which producer Ross was kind enough to bring to yep. us from uh, the you know the great distance of Indianapolis, Indiana, and Gen Con. This is Sun King Brewing's Osiris. Well, we got one more after this, right? I oh, believe so. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. fistful of hops. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So almost finished with Sun King Brewery. This is their pale ale. I got to be honest. I don't love pale ale. It it's the Osiris. Osiris. Yeah. I don't love pale ales, um, and I don't, in particular, love this pale ale. So I violated the Stillwater rule on the cheers because I was thirsty and I wanted to, I wanted to maintain, and I drank it, and I don't like it, and I don't hate it. It's not like oh god, this is the worst thing ever, like dodgeball, um, but it is what Caleb would refer to as any form of dancing or aerobics, sort of electric sliding down your throat. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, if that's your thing, you know. Conversely, for me, this is this is not that, but this is a two. I would given given the rating system. Does for a little today, crosswalk down, then it does like the hop, skip, jump, clap, and then yeah. it starts going back up or sideways. Yeah. that's not good in your for throat. For sure, for sure. No, 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 no. It's not. Um, you so want it to maintain a direction. It has the front end of a pale ale. Honestly, on the back end, it almost tastes like maybe we got a bad batch of it. Like it's sour, but not like it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so I'm uh, I'm just not crazy about this beer. That isn't to say that I haven't enjoyed some of the other Sun King offerings. Just this one didn't land. For me, well, we'll go to the if you go to Jingon next year, we can check out the brewing company and ha- they have a tap room. So. Oh, I am going to Gen Con next year, <laughs> and we are going to mixed six it up. Is how I feel about Gen right. Con. Watch out, Indy. Mm-hmm. Put your 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 protective gear on. That's my threat to Indy. <laughs> wow, <laughs> really went at it there. Yeah, straight for the jugular. Watch out, <laughs> says oh. the man who couldn't stand dodgeball. Yeah, well, you know what? Shit happens. <laughs> Anyways, uh, while I attempt to choke this sixteen ounce can down, Caleb, what are we talking about? We are talking about in dissecting our fun, uh, a lovely little game that I'm surprised it's taken this long for us to mention. But it is marrying Mister Darcy, which might be my favorite little card game that we own. Uh, it's it is the game I pop out like fastest after we've done love letter or something that is our ex- exploding kittens or something so easy. It's my my solid mid tier card. game. That's mid tier card game. I think is an important distinction. It's something which is like a little more involved beyond an exploding kittens or love letter, but it's less involved than say a dominion or a smash up. Yeah, it's, it's like my right solid there. track too. Yeah. Like I, yep. it's like oh you started with this, let's kick it up a notch. Right. Um, and I absolutely love it. So I, th- I think. Before I get to my take on it and why I love it, we should just describe it yeah. mechanically. Yeah. So it's based on Pride and Prejudice. Uh, you are playing one of the female char- the heroines of that novel, um, and you are trying to get a husband, as is the goal of Pride and Prejudice. You have six suitors laid out from the novel, um, and the goal is to... Uh, raise your attributes to the point that you get the suitor you want. Now, every suitor is worth points, um, and you have the uh, chance to get your highest level suitor and win the game in addition to, in addition to other points. Mm-hmm. But you'll have like second and third and fourth choices. Um, and you're trying to pull these cards and do it. So what you're doing is you're pulling event cards that are telling what you do next. It might be gambling. Uh, so you're rolling dice. It might be 
Um, uh, you flirted too much with the militia. With so the militia. You got, which is the funniest card we use all the time. Um, and you're losing attributes. Or it might be something that lets you pick an attribute card and apply it to yourself and raise yourself and become a more desirable fiancé mm-hmm. to the suitor that you're mm-hmm. best interested in. And at the end, it is a bidding mechanic that is literally the fussy suitor game yes. from uh, statistics and probability where you will always go in the suitor order one, two, three, four, five, six. But uh, anytime you turn a suitor down, even if you roll and they would propose to you, you cannot go back. Right. Yes. Yeah, there's a shoot the moon mechanic here, which yes. is how far do you want to go? And most people want to marry Mr. Darcy or he's at least their second or third choice. Right. But he is six. Right, exactly. And the crappy suitors are a one. Yeah, imagine for a moment that by raising various attribute levels, including the size of your dowry, functionally, um, you are qualifying for which suitors would propose to you. Mm -hmm. At the end of the game, in order, you are figuring out if those suitors, starting with the least suitable and ending with the most suitable, and by that I mean highest point value, are all capable of proposing to you based on a roll of the dice to determine if you've met the criteria. And if you have, you you now have to make a choice, right? So if I'm playing against you, do I want to go with a suitor who's a three because at least I know that I'm going to get a guaranteed point value out of that? Or do I want to shoot the moon and try to get to a four, five, or six because I think based on what attributes you've raised, you may also qualify for higher levels of suitors, which at the end of the game means that you will have more net points than me and have won the game. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a risk mechanic here. There's also a little bit of a probability mechanic, which is how much do I think other people can accomplish in, yes. in the time it took me to accomplish what I needed to get to my highest ceiling in this and, game. And also of one suitors. of your attributes you're trying to build up with Cart is basically cunning, which is basically initiative. So yeah. who is bidding first, which is perhaps the most uh, important attribute, but does nothing to score you points. Right, exactly. I mean, that's kind of the trick there, that the game in some ways forces you to go out of your way to do a thing that in the long run will not be a net positive thing for you, but in the short run will give you more opportunity to get to a better end result. So yes. there very much is a min-max mechanic here. Mm-hmm. I want to maximize something which will have hmm, effect at the end of the game, but it will give me more opportunity to spread my wealth, as it yeah. were, over the course of the game. That's one of the things I like about it the most. I think that, one, not only is there a risk mechanic, two, not only are you kind of like stretching in terms of, ah, this mechanic could be good, it could not be good for me, but, but all of this is wrapped inside of, and I think this is where you wanted to get today, all of this is wrapped inside of this really interesting novel theme Yeah, that, that is the Pride and Prejudice universe. Well, what I, I kind of want to get to that. So like, I think it's one of the most feminist games I've ever played. And really positively so. But what surprises me about it is that how little the theme carries that message and how much mm. the mechanics carry that message. Okay, yeah. So um, I, I'm going to mention a different game, but as, as a really ham-headed example. So, right. like, there's a there's a game called Train. It's in this Mechanics as Message series. It's only played basically in art institutes. And it's basically a, a worker movement game. Mm-hmm. But um, midway through the game, you find out that you are... You know, Nazi train conductors moving Jews to camps. And then the art piece is do you continue playing the game to try and win? Or do you sabotage yourself to try and lose the game the hardest? Because the rules don't change. You literally just add the theme midway through the game. Really, uh, really brought the mood down here, Club. Well, it, I did. But, but it does this thing where the mechanic carries the message of it. Right. So yeah. I've got this Pride and Prejudice game. And this is the best case of it where it's not bumming me out. It's still 
kind of a bummer because of patriarchy, but it's not bumming me out quite sure. Much. So the thing about the game is that you're you're trying to build your stats up for this, you know, suitor that you have. Yeah. But you're at the whim of you know your sisters literally undercutting you yep. for their own end. They will stab you in and the back. And then you're also at the whim of the fact that you never choose to draw a card. You only draw event cards, right. and you can't even choose to play cards yep. until you draw an event card that says, you may now place a card on your character. Right. So the whole game... You've been granted permission. Yeah, the whole game, you've got these five cards that you want to play, and you want to play for this optimal strategy, and you just need to lay them down, mm-hmm. and you're waiting for this random blind chance to do it. So the first couple times I played it, I'm like, I think I like it because, you know, you're making these gender play kind of jokes. It's like, oh, your dress is too revealing, Spencer, or, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but that seems kind of shallow. Cause, and then I'm like, well, I really suck at this game. I have this suboptimal strategy. It never works. It's kind of unfair. It's kind of intentionally based on random choice. And then I'm like, holy shit. That's the fucking That's problem. the point. Right. Yep. Like, yep. the point is that I'm a guy who has all of these, you know, wonderful attributes I want to play. Right. And now I'm not allowed to. You're literally Based on this capricious challenge. Chance. And then when you hit the fancy suitor problem, which is also like the game design problem, like right. it is the probability problem as assessed people for years now, since the yep. 1960s, right. where you're supposed to have all of these strategies with this complex kind of stuff, you are hemmed in by all of these random forces that yeah. control your life that aren't right. you. Like, literally, did you roll a, a four or higher? Yeah. I mean, and that's it, right? You, you may Yeah, there's four- this capricious chance on top of the capricious, right. not to mention the fact that you might not have the attributes needed to go after your most optimal suitor at right. that point. And so you're forced to, but like, even if you do, now you've got like, you've got the fancy suitor game where you know, you're doing the probability of what's your best choice for points, because some will get you just two points less, so maybe you should take that one right. and settle, right. but some will be like six points less, maybe you won't take that one because there's no way to win so you're doing all this complex math but the math itself is perverted by the fact that you just spent this whole game getting stepped on by the deck yes getting stepped on by randomness and i just realized that like yes it's feminist and that is designed by a fantastic woman female designer uh erica i can't remember it's icelandic awesome some last name yeah uh but this this couple team it's designed by that um these fantastic theme for this really well-beloved book yeah um, they have an expansion out for Emma now, which we need to buy. Which we are definitely going to buy. Uh, but but what really just blows my mind about it is that like it doesn't matter your gender. Right. Like you're going to be put into at least a modicum, at least a verisimilitude simulation sure. of this sort of like lack of control. Yeah being used to judge you and the rest of your life accordingly. Sure. Okay, so I... So I, it's less depressing than Train, but I think it is the instance where the, the mechanics carry right. the message far more than the theme. Okay, so this this is an interesting version of this conversation. I wasn't totally sure that this is where we were going today, but now that we're there, like, I like it very much, and your explanation of it, I think, is quite good. So let me kind of, like, ask you to survey. In the past, we've talked about themes... Um, themes really dominating some board game categories. For example, we've talked at length about the science theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think of some of these games, right, like uh, Alchemy in particular, where the the theme in and of itself is nice because it's like, yeah, we're going to combine a bunch of random shit and see what happens. It's kind of the nature of science. Mm-hmm. But there's also this, yeah, and you don't know what's going to happen on the other end. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is kind of the, the, the true translation of the message as mechanic, which yeah. is what you're talking about here, which is, yeah, and as is true with science, at, after that point of ab- absolute knowledge... We're just going to roll the dice and see what happens when we throw these two things together. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, do you think that marrying Mr. Darcy does this uniquely better than some of the other 
um, science or thematic-based games, zombie games, for example, that we've talked about? Do you think there's something unique about this one that stands out to you and how the theme makes the mechanic feel differently as compared to these other things we've talked about? Uh, very much so. Cause, and this is where I think the theme is sneaky good, aside yeah. from just being promoting a fantastic you know, female author that right. you know, changed the face of fiction forever. Sure. In BD, you know what I mean? Just as like themes, as themes, if you want to get all social justice about it, which I do, uh, as themes, uh, historical themes are often sort of this, you know, uh, I want to say vacation from empathy. Right. The the Mad Men problem. Sure. Like, I like Mad Men because I could right. Embrace call this. my secretary toots right. and, like, right. we're just going to revel in that. We're just going to roll around in it far more than we will talk about, like, well, that was a nature and people had, like, you'll get, you know, characters in there and you'll get moments and you'll get, you know, you know the social progress. But sure. it, the majority is going to be like, man, I wish I could drink and smoke at work. Like, you have yeah. these sort of this... Um, so I think when you look at like Victorian era era stuff, like in the nerd space, like anything steampunk, anything like that, I think there is an element in there. It's yeah. like, wouldn't it be nice to like have a horribly exploitative shipping company, or wouldn't it be nice? And so I think that might be like what the guys are getting in for. Not me personally, but what some of the guys are getting in for when they play marrying Mister Darcy. Sure, and maybe what some of the girls are if they're not that woke. But the thing is, it doesn't matter how you arrive at the game. Right. It doesn't matter if you're just like, I love Jane Austen, she's brilliant, right. there need to be more games by female designers, or if you're just like, yeah, I'll pretend to be a lady, that'll be kind of funny for a bit. Right. It doesn't matter how you come at it, that mechanic's going to make you feel like shit. Yeah. And it's going to make you feel like shit in a way that's really telling and empathetic to the modern day. Sure. And it's going to be super fun while you do it, because once you realize, like, this is a game that's like, at least for me, yeah. this game is well designed. This person has a front to back. They knew what they were doing. There's sub suboptimal tactics, like and, and suboptimal design choices for like being tactical and having choice points. Right. But at every point, they denied me a choice. Sure. It was to tell me a message. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, I'm clearly in good hands. And I have a great time. I, I have a lot of fun with that game. It's a great game. At the same time, I think it's a game that's like powerful and has a good message. Um, let me let me continue down this path of like trying to compare uh, what, what it is you're saying about marrying Mr. Darcy to other things that we've talked about. Just because I'm kind of fascinated about why you think this one, of all of the things that we've talked about in 20-plus episodes, is uniquely constricting giving the theme um, it seems to me that, for example, The Grizzled is a game which sets a an equally oppressive structure in which it doesn't matter what your aims were, it doesn't matter what likely strategy is available to you, you are uniquely bound by the things that are in front of you and the forces of having participated in yeah, World War I. Yeah, I know I. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, is The Grizzled in the same category? Or again, do you think that there's something unique and distinguishing... I, I think it's a matter of... I, I do think there is something unique and distinguishing. Yeah. And I think it's a matter of distance. Okay. Um, so the thing is, is that like while I think the Grizzles mechanic is excellent for its theme and well matched, yeah. I think the distance between representing what World War One like and like being able to do that at a table, yeah, is mm -hmm. bigger, sure, than being in a domestic space, yeah. playing cards with your friends, right, and recognizing what it means to have a lack of social control in that interaction, yeah. And I feel like that's great because literally there are event cards, and like half of them are like play cards with your friends, right. So like there are scenes in the novel and and scenes in the game where this is occurring around the card table, and guess what? Like what's happening to your character is happening to you at the card table. So I think like the the closed dispense, like I don't have to imagine what a shell like is going off or right, right. 
Oh no, they blew off Sergio's like in, leg. In or I, like, yeah, I can't figure that out from a card game. I think it fits. It feels fitting. Yeah, but it doesn't demand the empathy from me. But I think the distance is closed. No, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I think this is a good distinction. Uh, well, so anyways, that's been a, a, a quick and fairly deep review of marrying Mr. Darcy. Yeah, if, buy the game. Right, yeah, that's absolutely right. Buy hard, the game. Hard recommend. Buy the expansion, because we're going to, and at some point we're probably going to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I was researching to try and remember the exact mechanics today, and I'm like, holy shit, there's an expansion. Yeah. Like, yeah. we, we, we've talked about buying the expansion on a number of occasions, and the value of doing this podcast with someone who also plays a lot of games is we could buy the expansion mm-hmm. and not the base game, because you've got the base game. Yeah. Bingo, fucking bango. Yes. That is synergy, people. Mm-hmm. So on that note, by marrying Mr. Darcy, enjoy it, and embrace the restriction that is patriarchy in the form of standard game-playing action. Uh, and on that note, we're going to grab more beer. We'll be back on the other side. Caleb, what are you drinking? I am drinking from 12 Gates Brewing Company, the Cherry Vanilla Wheat. I believe that's from Dan VK. Thank you, Dan. It's quite good. Uh, for me, this is a kickball. I'm, I'm Whoa. Yeah. Whoa, like four? It. Yeah. It's Re- very drinkable. Let me jump in there. Which one else? I also would sort like of to light. sample the kickball. I could, I could kill a six-pack of that on a hot just, day. So I've not tasted it yet, so this is like flying blind. I don't like the idea that cherry and vanilla and wheat go together. It really is just a mellow, mellow profile. Like, um, Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, I, yeah. Could, I can mow a lawn. It actually that. has like a little bit of a Kool-Aid quality to it, but not in a bad way. Yeah, not in a bad way. No, no, it's, it's yeah. got some sweetness. Yeah. I imagine it was, I, I was imagining something like far more cloying, especially with the cherry in Where, it. Where's ch- Twelve Gates middle? out of? I don't know that that's a brewery that we're familiar. It's with. out of Dan VK because oh. he brought it to us. No, uh, I don't I know. Yeah. I don't know where it is from. Uh, okay, and I do not see so. Twelve long. Gates. I'll look it up. Okay. Well, you know what? Anyways, that's uh, cool. Williamsville, New York. Oh. Okay. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That was no. kind of a oh like. I just. I guess I wasn't. Ex- Has Williamsville done something? Well, to you? so first. Well, so when you. Okay. Everybody, <laughs> a. Everybody, fuck off. All right. B. All right. I just feel like when you're going to say some something out of New York, the the thing before New York is something that I recognize, right? Like out of Brooklyn or Manhattan or I don't know, fucking Albany. Mm-hmm. You said Williamsville, and I was like, oh well, I bet that's in Ohio. You know what yeah. I mean? It sounds yeah, like the fair. most plain town. But no, I like it. It's quite good. Okay. Well, you uh, know what? That's great. What are we talking about? Okay. Um, it, w- what, in what should now be called This Was a Mistake, people have chosen, it, this is the number two pick this week, Sportsplainer, yet again. <laughs> and so and so here's what I learned after we did the last Sportsplainer. Like, all right, so I clearly overshot things on the NCAA bit. And then maybe I over-restricted myself on the Colin Kaepernick thing. Like 12 minutes was probably too hard of a deadline, is what people told me. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about fantasy football or how I learned to stop caring about my Sundays and hate the game, and we're not going to set a timer on it. We're just going to hope to not go 37 minutes is, is kind of my goal here, okay? Yes. So at some point when this feels like it's you know diamond on diamond, we're just going to cut this shit, mm-hmm. all right? That's how I feel about it. So today we're talking about fantasy football in... Why are we talking about fantasy football? Because I want to dispel the idea that fantasy football is like a bunch of fucking like Ed Hardy bros wearing like Boston Red Sox caps yelling at each other in Buffalo Wild Wings. Okay, like I want to I think that happens. Yeah, probably a little bit, but I feel like I feel like that happens about some of the stuff that we talk about. You yeah, know that's what I mean? Fair. There's a lot of illegal gambling or pseudo legal gambling. 
Fantasy football? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. In okay. fact, that, that many many of those larger daily fantasy sites is what they're called, like DraftKings, et cetera. DraftKings, that's it. Yeah, yeah. have been sued by states, you know, yeah. for, like, running gambling rings in their... <laughs> You're not funding our education department. That's like right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But I, I'm not going to get into the legality of fantasy football today. Instead, I'm going to get into what I think is, like... So I play a lot of fantasy, fantasy football I have for, like, the last nine You've years. You've been trying to rope me in for... I have. Like three or four years now. And, you know, I'll take this in kind because in a little while I'm going to talk about all the reasons I understand people won't play fantasy football. Mm-hmm. But if you're on the fence and just don't know how to get into it, like consider this kind of a push in the direction of you should at least give it a shot. And spoiler alert. So the, you too can hate football. That's right. Spoiler <laughs> alert. At the bottom of this, I'm, I'm even going to make a call for like a mixed six fantasy football league oh, next God, season. here it comes. Because I do think that part of the value of fantasy football is the communal nature of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But until that point, I've got some shit to tell you, okay? Right. So we're going to start at the top, which is just kind of the significance of fantasy sports. And again, this goes back to me kind of wanting to unsituate the idea of fantasy football away from this. It's a select group of people who are annoying, obnoxious, the worst of the worst, antithetical to what it is that you know we do on this podcast or what we're interested in. So the Fantasy Sports Trade Association, which is a real thing, they kind of in real time track <laughs> – how how the fantasy sports associ- how the fantasy sport industry is going it's called the FSTA for what it's worth um couple interesting notes from them. So first, in 2017, there are 59.3 million people playing fantasy sports across the United States and Canada, which is nearly a 300% increase in the number of players since 2003. Why does 2003 matter, you might ask? Because not unlike poker, if you remember the poker boom, which is right around 2003, mm-hmm. uh, when What's-His-Face wins the World Series, Chris What's-His-Face wins the World Series of Poker, yeah. and then Greg, Chris Moneymaker, and then Greg Raymer wins it the next year. I don't think Moneymaker is his legal name. No, it's very literally his name. Chris Moneymaker wins the World Series of Poker uh, over Sammy Farhaw, if I remember correctly. And it blows up, right? Because he's kind of like this average Joe who got into the tournament. Bingo, bango, wins like a big money pot. It's on ESPN. I don't believe this at all. But I'm go not on. fucking with you, man. Just move right on. Fact check me, bro. <laughs> so the next year, Greg Raymer wins it. Uh, and, you know, there's this big poker, poker boom. You know this because you lived through it. God, it was in the, in the In the residence halls. It was halls. hell. Yeah. Anyways, um, so 2003, there's also a big fantasy sports boom, and in particular, a fantasy, a fantasy football boom. Roughly 75% of the 59.3 million people playing fantasy sports across the United States and Canada play fantasy football. It is by, by and away the largest of the fantasy sports types. Uh, here's a breakdown of those people. 66% are male, 34% are female. Actually, that's kind of a surprising number to me Yeah, that, that the breakdown worked out roughly two-thirds to a third. Uh, it shouldn't be surprising to me because I play in four leagues right now, for example, and many of those players are, are women, including my mom and my wife. They both mm-hmm. play. Uh, many of my aunts, you know, a couple cousins, all female. Um, but it, it nonetheless shocked me that, that that kind of breakdown kind of held across the, the gamut. Yeah. Um, 78% of fantasy players have at least a college degree. That's pretty equivalent to, like, RPG podcast listeners and RPG players, actually. Actually, that's kind of like one of the arguments I'm going to make today, that the the game-playing aspect of it really transcends category, and Mm -hmm. the question is how you define what it means to play a game. Yeah. One of the arguments I'm going to make is that there are probably a lot of people, hopefully a lot of people who listen to this podcast, who don't realize that a lot of the things they're doing in their average board and or RPG role-playing game uh, are probably engaged in similar thought processes as they are in fantasy football. So stuff. they could make money doing this on DraftKings.com. They really fucking could. This is all, <laughs> we are not actually sponsored. Also, by our way of telling you that we now are selling ads to DraftKings.com. <laughs> no, seventy-eight uh, percent have at least a college degree, and sixty-six percent have a full-time job. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a seven billion-dollar industry. 
in 2017. This is a real fucking thing. And I'm excited to talk about draft it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Ross, just add in like some pew pew lasers right there. And <laughs> On moral grounds and uh, uh, aesthetic grounds, no. Okay. <laughs> So, At least you had grounds this yeah, time. Yeah, I was going to say, it's <laughs> nice that you've asked it for fucking <laughs> principle. Yeah. Um, so anyways, th- this is a huge thing, and that's one of the reasons I want to talk about it today, that for me it's kind of the logical extrapolation of how a fan gets into a thing. All right? mm-hmm. So that's the significance of it. Now I want to talk about the nuts and bolts of it. Okay, So what does it mean to play fantasy football? Because there are probably a lot of people who just don't understand what it means to say I play fantasy football. I want to yeah. talk about that a little bit. And for the purposes of clarity... I want to distinguish between owners and players. So for the course of this conversation, I'm going to try to use owners to mean like you and me, people who own or manage a fantasy football team. Okay. Players, though, are the actual NFL players oh, okay. that we have on our fantasy football team. The nomenclature teams. is confused. It is a little confused. Right. So, for example, as I was kind of writing notes on this, I kept using players interchangeably, players to represent me as a fantasy football player and players to represent Alex Smith. Whereas the RPG pace might be player versus characters. That's right. That's right. Okay. Owners and players. Okay. Yeah. So what does it mean to own a fantasy football team? Okay. Owners draft a team of actual NFL players at their respective positions. So there is usually some shared draft But not space. their respective teams. Uh, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's usually some shared draft space or time where you will sit down with a group of friends or you can do it over the computer while they're also drafting or you don't have to be anywhere near each other and you don't actually have to do anything. A fucking automated computer will do it for you. But what you're doing is you are, in theory, drafting players to be on your team who actually play football. So, for example, you're drafting a quarterback on your team, okay? And team and construction— they're currently playing, right? Not that's playing right. in the past. That's absolutely right. They're current players. They have okay? to be not injured and playing, like, in—, in- Games? Well, I mean, they can be injured, but if you draft them, they aren't going to get you any points, right? Yeah. So you should be reasonably up to date on who's playing and who's not playing. Yeah. And, that's and they actually, have to be humans. They do have to be humans. They actually have played football. That's right. Not aliens. I was uh, going to have a griffin at who, safety. Who else do you but, think plays football? Well, you're really limiting my fantasy here, Ross. Oh, all right? Yeah. So, that's part of the bit, I guess, right, is yeah. that it's actually not all that fantastical <laughs> in some weird ways. So typically what you're doing as an owner, again, not a player, as an owner, you're drafting a typical roster of actual NFL players. And typical rosters include the following positions. So you're going to draft a quarterback. So you might pick Tom Brady or Alex Smith or Aaron Rodgers. I keep saying Alex Smith because he's a chief, so, you know, Mm -hmm. Homer. Um, You're going to pick up to two running backs. You're going to pick two or three wide receivers. You're going to pick a tight end. You're going to pick a defensive unit. So uh, there are a few If I pick two or three, am I determining what kind of defense I'm running? Uh, no. no, 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 no. I'm not calling plays or anything. You like are that. not calling plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll explain scoring right, here in okay. just a minute. Right, all right. So you're going to pick a defense that you want. Typically, defenses are drafted as, in, a, as a unit, as a unit, oh. rather than individual players. There are leagues. We are legion. That's right. Okay. There are leagues called IDP leagues, individual defensive player leagues, where you can draft a specific linebacker or a specific mm-hmm. quarterback. But most leagues will have you. Everyone draft. knows the nose tackle is the center of the hive. Line. That's absolutely right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most leagues will have you draft. To stop the defense, kill the nose tackle. Everyone knows that most leagues will have you draft for example the kansas city chiefs defense right and defense is also often rolled into special teams okay all right Uh, and then you'll also draft a kicker kicker and then some leagues even have what's called a flex position which would allow you to draft an additional wide receiver running back or tight end Mm -hmm. okay so what you're doing at the draft is you're looking at all of the available players in the national football league and you're saying well if i'm going to be scoring based on how many points yardage Yards, touchdowns, receiving yards, rushing yards, um, sacks. 
those those people or units have, which one of those quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, defensive units do I want? And once those people are on your team in most leagues, they can't be on other teams also, right? So mm-hmm. you are you are really very literally putting together an NFL roster of players across multiple NFL teams and multiple NFL units, okay? Um, so, so there are a couple things that, that net out here. One is how do you draft? And the second is how do you score, right? So drafting as a mechanic typically happens in one of two ways. Drafts either use a snake order Which we've done on this very podcast. That's right. No need to explain it. Mix six mock draft, right? So uh, randomly determined order. Mm -hmm. Somebody drafts first in the first round, which in theory means they can take the best player available. They're going to draft last in the second round. Trying to eliminate first mover advantage. That's absolutely right. Okay. Alternatively, uh, there's a, a large contingency of leagues which use what's called an auction draft. And in an auction draft, everyone starts with the same amount of theoretical money or real money, depending on how, you know, how oh, great so your league is. Oh, so you're bidding for spots. You're bidding for players. Damn. So, for example, for the first draft pick, right, which might be David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell this year, right, uh, the running backs for the Arizona Cardinals or the Pittsburgh Steelers, the question is how much of your set pool of money, for example, $500, do you want to spend to go get that player? You could spend up to 500 if that player was as important to you, mm-hmm. but then you wouldn't have any money left to spend on other players, so yeah. you'd have to take a bunch of freebies at the end of the game. Yeah. So auction drafts force a slightly different mechanic here, which is you've got to figure out how you're going to balance your pool of available resources over a pool of available needs. Okay. Um, draft order can be randomly assigned. It can be negotiated beforehand. It could be based on the previous year's results. So I've had a couple of leagues, for example, my Lawrence League, which I started when I was in Lawrence in 2010. Mm-hmm. Is on its sixth or seventh year now. Um, and so we could draft based on the order of the previous season. The person who finished last in that league last year should get to draft first this year to create some parity. That's not what we do because fuck you people. If you listen to this, I want to keep it reasonably random. <laughs> but the option is on the table. Okay? Yeah. That's how drafting works. So a, in a draft, all of the owners yeah. are, you know, based on their order, trying to draft the best players of those av- available spots, mm-hmm. roster spots. Okay. How does one win or score a fantasy football game then? Okay, a couple things. The friends we made along the way. That's exactly right. That's exactly (laughs) right. Um, The players on an owner's team are awarded points for in-game activities, and that's the important thing to remember. So, for example, a quarterback is awarded points for throwing a touchdown, completing a pass, throwing chunks of yardage. For example, most leagues, for every 25 yards that a quarterback throws – either over one throw or many throws, you're going to get a point or half a point for that. Okay, Then at the end of that game, that quarterback is going to have a total score, which is how many touchdowns, which are usually worth between four and six points, how many yards, which is a variable bonus based on the amount of yards they've thrown, and how many completions, which is also a variable multiplier Mm -hmm. based on how many completions they have, how many points did that quarterback have, right? Running backs are rewarded for the number of total yards they carry or the, or, or the ball or, or, or touchdowns that they score. Wide receivers, similarly, for catching the ball, total yards covered, touchdowns. Defensive, uh, defensive units and special team units are rewarded for sacks, forcing mm-hmm. turnovers, holding opposing defenses that those defenses are playing throughout the course of the day under a certain point total, for example. And then kickers are rewarded for you know extra points and field goals. All How right? much is a felony conviction overturned worth? Yeah, uh, it's worth a million. You actually just win the league. Okay. Yeah. No, that's the trick. So, like, Zeke, just, yeah. Zeke Elliott is probably going to be the fantasy MVP this year. You yeah. know what I mean? You could start some sort of fantasy cartel. Like, be- who right. commits the most crimes right. this season? Because of some legal jujitsu, this gentleman is going to be able to play <laughs> all of the season. <laughs> With multiple domestic abuse raps <laughs> yeah. on his sheet. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know that's that's how that works because NFL. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. <laughs> 
So, so that's how scoring works. How do you determine a win and a loss then? All right, so wins and losses are typically uh, determined by one of two frameworks, okay? either a head-to-head framework or what's called a rotisserie or roto framework. So in, an, in a head-to-head setting... I don't like rotisserie. No, I don't it's either. It's a bad word. It doesn't feel very nice, <laughs> no. and it's not. In a head-to-head framework, uh, one owner, me, for example, will go against one other owner, you, for example, throughout the course of a given week. And out of all of the games played, you and I will then compete to see who can produce the highest score total, okay? It's a head-to-head league. Every week you're going to play somebody different, and then you're going to probably you know, rinse, wash, repeat a couple of those people. And at the end of the season, we're going to have some playoffs based on the four, six, or eight teams who had the best record beating other owners head-to-head. Mm-hmm. Rotisserie leagues are a little bit different. So in a rotisserie league, um, each owner is functionally competing against every other owner every week. So whereas... In a head-to-head game. So you're going for total points against all, but a head-to-head game is me and you. So, like, yeah. you and I are playing, and then, damn it, prosecution found some real skeletons during discovery. Right. So my QB's... Not going to be able to play yeah, this Yeah, he week. did not make probation. Right. So uh, I'm just screwed against you. Absolutely fucked. Whereas, you know, if I'm against the whole league, that's probably happened at least 12 eight, times eight across other owners that dealing week. with that. That's right. So we're probably, you know, still evening out. All right, that yeah. makes sense. It's kind of a boom-bust type of thing, yeah. you know what I mean? In a rotisserie league, points are, are typically rewarded based on stat categories. So, for example, if your team accrued the most rushing yards that week, mm-hmm. you're going to get 10 points. If my team had the second most rushing yards, I'm going to get 9 points. If I had the most receiving yards... I'm going to get 10 points, and if you had the second most, you're going to get 9 points. So it takes kind of the player out of it and turns it into a categorical scoring system. God, this reads like fucking first dead D&D. Like, Dude, you guys, it's you guys not doing, a joke. You guys doing Thacko math yeah. up there? Like, no, no, no. And that's one of the things Thacko I want to talk about. wacko. I want to talk about that in a hot second. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, the, there's, it, it is an info fest in terms of like really playing fantasy football. Okay, um, So... That is how you determine who gets into the playoffs. The playoffs yeah. then often create like a hyper subset of the most successful teams that get to play each other in some format to be the is winner that a of the league. Rotisserie p- playoff uh, or a paired playoff. Typically, a head-to-head playoff or okay. rotisserie playoffs kind of functions similarly, so, which is categories of points, which gets narrowed down. Top two. Top so, like, do you teams, do rotisseries into a playoff because like there's too many people in your league, and then like you can narrow it down into the playoffs? Or? I've seen leagues do it two ways. I've seen ro- do rotisseries into head head-to-head playoffs. Mm-hmm. I've also seen rotisseries do into rotisserie playoffs. So the top. I just wanted you to say rotisserie more yeah. and mission accomplished. Nailed it. <laughs> rotisserie. So the the top six teams <laughs> remaining then right are going to have a rotisserie playoff and the top four teams after that will have another rotisserie playoff Mm -hmm. will have another you know so on and so forth okay so then this gets into kind of like the okay so why play it right it sounds like a reasonably simple scoring metric right obviously some clear mechanic overlap here between like playing your standard game why play fantasy football i want to start a little bit antithetically and resolve some of the why not play fantasy football (laughs) you know there's no better way the rebuttals out of the way yeah so, first off, if you just don't like football or don't like watching football, definitely don't play fantasy football because it's like football to the X, all right? Also, if you don't support the NFL for a variety of reasons, including social ones, don't play fantasy football because I fucking get it. You know what I mean? I even have found myself over the course of this season, this is one thing you should know about me, or not, I don't know, um, uh, 
even up to a year ago, if it was a football game, I would watch it. And I would stop whatever else I was doing yeah, yeah, to yeah. watch it. Like, oh, that two teams I don't really give a fuck about, I'm going to watch it because it's football. This year, I have not done that. And I can't figure out what it is, but I assume, I, I, I'm guessing that it is because I, I too, as a one-time diehard football fan, am also becoming a little bit overwhelmed by yeah. just like all of the The FBI's on the field. Right, right. That's exactly <laughs> it right. It looks like the defensive line has been rolled up in the Mueller investigation. Right. Even, we should have known from all that vodka they Even drank. I can't resolve that any longer, right? <laughs> yeah. So, wow. so I totally get it. If, if you're not into fan- to football, generally don't play fantasy football. But why would you play? A couple of reasons. One, there's like a really interesting blend of strategy and tactic here, right? So strategically, based on the league's scoring settings, which can vary from league to league, Mm -hmm. your team construction can change drastically from league A to league B, right? Based on points awarded for position types and for scoring types. How you drafted at the start, yeah. That's absolutely right, okay? And based on things that happen week to week, your strategy is totally fucked, and now you've got to make some tactical responses. For example, in two of my leagues, I drafted first overall and second overall. In both of those leagues, I was fortunate enough to take the, the, the consensus number one overall pick, David Johnson, running back mm-hmm. for the Arizona Cardinals, who halfway into the first game of the season suffered an injury that will keep him out until December. So I took a vaunted draft position, and then because of something outside of my control... Then he went down on RICO laws. He went down on RICO laws. <laughs> and here's the, other, here's the other bit about that. I drafted first in a league of 12 people there, which means I didn't draft again until 25, mm-hmm. right? Which means I functionally took two rounds off before I got to draft a player. So now, on the back end, I've got to start making some trades or making some moves to recover position that I've lost, right? Oh, God, there's trading? Oh, yeah, you can totally trade. Oh. Yeah. And sometimes... You watched the league. Right. Didn't I, you pay well, attention to it? I was focused may on, mainly on the dick jokes, and then later on the fake 9-11 surviving. <laughs> okay. uh, there was, were distracting issues. That was, I'm a, just, big, that was okay. a big issue in the league. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. Less so in the fantasy football league that I've done, I guess. <laughs> Second reason I'd play it, I just think the game is fascinating. Is a fascinating information fest, and it kind of strikes me. It's odd to me that more like hardcore gamers don't play fantasy football. A couple of reasons. So from the draft to the final game, much of the game is really just an evaluation of probability, right? Like who do I think is going to perform the best week mm-hmm. to week at any given position based on a number of criteria. History, how they've done that season, how they've done against that team in the past. Trends. Are they doing better than they've been doing? Are they worse they've been doing? What the pigeon innard said this week. That's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, where did the chicken bone break? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Matchups, right? Like maybe they're playing a team that is particularly good against the run. Therefore, maybe don't play that like middle of the road running back mm-hmm. who got you a lot of points last week but won't do well against this type of defense. Health, like are they reasonably healthy? Are they reasonably injured? And then there's a whole industry of fantasy football experts. And like the really hysterical thing, because I read three or four of them kind of religiously, is that week to week they all have different rankings too, which doesn't make things any easier when I'm trying to discern the tea leaves of people who are discerning the tea leaves. I'm like, well, this one looks like black tea, but that one looks like rooibos. So I guess I'm going to go green. I mean, there's like a little bit, there's a little bit of like, what do you think you're going to make sense of? And what I like about that is that often I'll go with the fantasy expert, and I'm using pretty hard air quotes here, who I think has make the best, who's made the best argument for why they have the ranking that they have. And now I'm not evaluating football players. I'm evaluating, I'm evaluating argument integrity. And like that's a totally different ball game now. You know what I mean? Resolved. We should score a touchdown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nay. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, here's this constri- contrived statistic that I've conjured up out of magic and I've applied in this instance. And I'm like, well, I had not thought about that. You know, the pigeons are flying south this weekend and therefore I should be. Uh, and then finally, there's just some like one. You didn't tell some, me it was a game of sophistry. Like, I mean, that, that, that's like, what I'm trying to tell everybody okay. now, though. You okay. know what I mean? 
And then also, it's like some. Do you like being technically right? Yeah. It's somewhere. Are well actually the your best favorite kind of words? Right. But, but that's kind of like the bit, right? Like, yeah. so this weekend, this last weekend, for example, I played a guy who, like, across the board, fantasy experts was a top 10 rated quarterback or running back, I'm sorry, uh, had 0. 0.7 points as compared to, like, 20 and 25 points amongst mm-hmm. other players in that cap. 0. 0.7, not 7, 0. 0.7. <laughs> and here I am screaming at my computer on Sunday, like, everyone said I should play him, but technically right in that instance can fuck off, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because it doesn't matter. So there's this weird, like, gut element, too. Another reason I play it, I think the game rewards appropriate risk-taking, and I think that good gamers are good risk-takers. Yeah. Um, sure, your draft sets an initial lineup, but it's the people who, in middle to later rounds in the draft, or throughout the season, will see, like, one guy do something kind of magical and go, that guy. I'm going to go that guy. And this year, that guy, for the most part, has been Kareem Hunt from the Kansas City Chiefs, 816. Um, Kareem Hunt is a rookie running back. And uh, in the first draft that I had this year, my dad reached up and took him, like, really early. And everybody was like, what the fuck are you doing? And through two weeks, Kareem Hunt is, like, the highest scoring or second highest scoring fantasy football player in the fucking league or something. Because, you know, like, yeah, it seemed weird to draft a rookie that high. But also, if you'd watch the preseason, it's like, yeah, but he's fucking killing it. And nobody in front of him is that good. And and they're injured. So it's like, are you going to be the, the person to yeah, roll the dice on that statistical outliers thing? are a thing. Right. And when you pick it, you feel like you're magic. That's absolutely right. So I picked him in the next mm-hmm. league, you yeah. know. And now I'm sitting on this and I'm looking around everybody else with my middle fingers up. Mm-hmm. Like, you all fucking, you should have seen it. A um, couple other reasons. One, it enhances the game. I like watching football. Arguably like watching, watching football less this year. But for a long period of time, I would watch any football game, and this made any football game more interesting because chances are I had a player you on had that team. at least one player you're rooting for. Who I was rooting That's for. an interesting point. And then finally, and this is the gauntlet that I'm willing to throw down for people who are willing to jump into the fray. And I admit, I totally get if you don't want to jump into the fray and don't want to support the NFL. Great reasons for not doing that. I, too, am starting to feel a little bit of that stuff more and more every day. But I think it's super communal, right? Like, I have two leagues, three leagues, in fact, that are largely made up of family members and some friends. Um, So it's a family thing. It's a friend thing. It's an opportunity to compete with people, and I like competing with people about random stuff that you have no control over because there's Mm -hmm. something kind of fun about it. And I like trash talking. Like, I just think that's like a fun thing to do, especially when it has no value. And... I would be super interested in doing a mixed six league in the future if there were enough people who were in for it. And that is my call for fantasy football in this sports planner. All right. Well, this has been Draft Kings Presents Sports Planner. <laughs> Thank you for joining us here on the Mix Six. Uh, you should go to Draft Kings, and I should go get another beer. Bingo. <laughs> Check in the mail, please. Spencer, what are you drinking? Okay, I full disclosure, I asked you this literally while the music is playing, I guess, as it were. Is it Coop or Co-op? Coop. Coop Ale Works. This is from Andrew motherfucking Baswell. Yes, he gave me quite a few. The rest of this episode is from Andrew. Baz, Baz Hype. Friend of the podcast, been on the podcast before, and yes. always supplies us with literally the best shit to drink. So mm-hmm. while you were in Oklahoma City, he gave you the Territorial Reserve, which sounds like something out of Oklahoma, if I'm mm-hmm. being totally honest. <laughs> it's a barrel-aged Wild Wheat Wine Honey Ale, which seems like a crude name for a beer for people that have been drinking. Uh, wow. That sounds wow. super sophisticated. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's still water rule. artisanal and I'm going to try it live. Ooh, he took a sniff and then turned away. So he's, It's he's, powerful. It's got a powerful scent. It does have a powerful scent. He, there's enough that we all have a glass of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's quite good. It's delicious, isn't it? Um, 
That's I cannot steal water. I, I drank these with Baz yeah. and then brought samples back. Here's something else you I'm should having know. Some, I'm quite enjoying it. That this is served in a very large bomber, and Caleb has, has given up the, the, like, the, the pretenses of a glass and is just drinking it out of the bomber. That's a kickball for me. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's a hard kickball. Yeah, that's a four for me. Yeah. Um, fitting that we're drinking an Oklahoma beer while we talk about a uniquely Oklahoma subject, Caleb. Mm. So, and this was a mistake, which was your number one pick, because it always is. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about something that infuriated me on the way to see Baz and come back with the beer, which is toll roads, which are the worst idea ever in the modern condition. And I hate them, and I hate them so much, and I hate them for so many, like, well-reasoned like positions that I have about yep. why I hate them. Yeah. But I don't want that to counteract my visceral hatred of them. Right. I, I know I know it in my gut that they're evil. Right. I have reasons beyond that. Yeah. But I, I loathe them entirely. So uh, before when I saw that you'd put this on the show notes, I thought, okay, I I'm just gonna yell about Oklahoma here for a hot minute and I oh, I will be doing quite a bit and of I that. And I don't I don't want to do that. So here's what I've done. <laughs> I researched toll roads so that we could add something to the conversation beyond anger. So I kind of feel like this would be an optimal way for this segment to go. I'm going to read you some factoids about toll roads, and then I am going to disappear while you hopefully have a rant which will yield you nothing but yeah. social media harassment for like the next mm, eight to ten years. Good of your luck life. with that. I can never yeah. die. Yeah, you people are really will fucking love toll roads. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you. yeah, yeah. When there's a toll road pop tart, call me. Okay. All right. Some fun facts about toll roads that I found not at all on Wikipedia. Wink. Okay. The first toll road in the United States was the Philadelphia and Lancaster Turnpike, built in the 1790s. Today, though, did you think my offense was based on it originating in Philadelphia? Like, well, I that's why he hates it. I wasn't sure if your thing was like, I just don't know enough about him. You know oh, what I mean? Oh, okay. So All right. Well, so enlighten me. I'm blunting that force. Today, though. This episode brought to you by DraftKings and Toll and Roads. And Toll Roads. <laughs> MoDOT. OakDOT. Um, toll Roads exist in 35 states, and there are nearly 5,000 miles worth of toll roads across the country, which yeah. means chances are if you've Wait, driven. only 5,000 miles? Okay, so first off, Ross, yeah. only feels like you're really undercutting the fact that 5,000. Do you know how many miles of fucking road there are? Ross, there's a whole song about how difficult, difficult it would be to walk 5,000 miles to see somebody you're not walking you're in a fucking car let me tell you this if you did that chances are you did at least a little piece hey, of guess it what toll walking road. would be cheaper <laughs> yeah it would <laughs> and here's another fun fact about toll roads shun piking is the act of intentionally looking for alternative routes to avoid paying tolls now i know you didn't know that and i know you're thinking like no one would ever do that so let me tell you a brief but i would i would do that but rousing shun piking was also uh, the lesser known sequel to train spotting oh my god <laughs> you all you're ruining my bit which is to, all right keep going keep you're going. My, my my whole bit here is to act excited okay. about a shun piking incident in the 1950s you fucks please okay? do so, in one particularly rousing installment of Shun Piking, Joseph W. Lute Jr., maker of the world-famous Smithfield Hams, who knew that a man of such stature could be capable of such shenaniganry, okay, actively instructed his truck drivers to avoid the James River Bridge in eastern Virginia because he was frustrated over toll increases. What effect do you think that had? They ran into a bridge because they didn't have the clearance when they were shun piking? Uh, tolls remained for the next 20 years is the effect that that oh, had okay. on it. So tolls, DGAF, about your disagreement with tolls. All right. Uh, they don't care about you at all. Oh, yeah. Also the health of their people. Right. So that is literally what I have to contribute to a conversation about toll roads. And I found that maybe or maybe not on Wikipedia. You didn't even look up arguments that tolls can help maintain infrastructure? 
Uh, no, because I understand that because I've been in the state of Texas, which is okay. where they, how they justify them all the time. And frankly, I don't give a fuck either. I, I am the Joseph W. Loot of arguments about why. So you're the proto argument. You're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, no, I get it. That's oh, the cool. best. Can I start yet? Can I'm, I start yet? I'm glad can I paid I for yet? your asphalt. Can I go? So can Caleb, I go? Can with I go? that, can I go? Can I go? <laughs> Jump in there. All right, they're viscerally terrible from a psychological perspective. Taking the invisible money out of my paycheck is far more agreeable than me having to fork out eight dollars in cash, which who carries that anymore? What am I from, from the fucking Middle Ages? Like, like, I gotta find cash to go down a road to see my friends. Furthermore, they're economically disastrous to the people they're supposed to help. So you go on a huge road like 44, say, in Missouri, which runs through the entirety of Missouri, and you have endless gas stations, endless chintzy shops, endless restaurants that I can pull off at any point to go to the bathroom, and maybe I buy a piece of gum, maybe I buy this, maybe I support this town existing. Whereas in Oklahoma, I have a barren fucking field without light. Like, I bounced off the atmosphere and re-entry, and am floating through the void of space. You've literally taken tons of land that had agricultural communities and denied them all other forms of economics because I can't get off the fucking road without paying eight more dollars. So you've economically distressed your people. Also, this infrastructure thing is bullshit, said everyone who's ever been on a toll road. Florida Oklahoma. and Oklahoma especially. I the, the barren, blasted, baked plains of Mad Max have less fucking potholes than an Oklahoma toll road. That money, I might as well just light it on fire because it's not going to any way. Furthermore, I told Road overwhelmingly shifts the tax load on the poorer people, the people who need to drive, the people who need to commute, the people who need to use the fucking toll road to get to their goddamn job. Whereas if I don't work at all, or I own places, or I'm a rent lord, I don't have to pay on the toll road at all. And furthermore, you're no longer taking anything out of my enormous fucking paycheck to pay for roads. So you've overwhelmingly shifted the tax burden of the state for basic infrastructure to maintain the state, to maintain your workers to achieve the job that gets you rent lord money you've shifted it towards the workers and away from yourself so it's economically disastrous the infrastructure argument's complete bullshit and it overwhelmingly prohibits the poor uh also it's really fucking annoying it's really fucking don't want to pull god it's annoying as hell it's super annoying like here i am doing 75 and then like i gotta pull over and stop to give you a dollar 35 which is the most inconvenient amount of money in the history of the world and and the worst part is like now that it's like for people that are in a state because they're you know economically devastated because they have no form of commercial because you can't travel from town to town without paying extra money and you don't pee anywhere uh furthermore if you get in a wreck on a coal road which i saw in oklahoma multiple times because you hit a thunderstorm i hope you like waiting upside down in a slowly flooding car for two hours because there's fucking nothing. There's just barren tracts of farmland Mm -hmm. where there would be barren tracts of farmland and at least an EMT that worked at the local gas station. You have to wait. And then it's a toll road, so you're not allowed to turn around on it. They don't have crossways in any form of decent decent frequency. So we literally saw a car wrecked by the side of the road. People stopped or whatever as well. Which is great. We drove for 15 minutes. We saw the ambulance Mm -hmm. coming the other way past us to try and get to the guy who was wrecked, who was still upside down in a slowly flooding ditch as his car flipped over in a raid spot. You know waiting hours for medical aid 
which I know it's a rural county already, but you know what? Rural counties that have some form of commerce and some form of agriculture right. usually have some form of health care. Whereas this guy's waiting for somebody from fucking Tulsa to get there for his ass. Tulsa. For Tulsa. So, like, it's bad for people's health. It's bad for people's economy. It's shit on roads because I will put any Missouri road against any Oklahoma toll road mm. any day of the week. And it overwhelmingly shifts the path burden on the poor. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. They were a mistake. I don't like them. So, in interest of toll go. roads, there we go. Good Ross has picked a Mountain Dew spiked lemonade. I, just I got something. a free can at the grocery which store, which is spiked with prickly pear cactus juice and non-alcoholic. He insists we drink it on the podcast. Yes, and as if this were a toll podcast, I will do that for Ross. There, there, there's literally it says spiked, and then two inches later it says no alcohol. Wow, it's like a Mountain Dew turned. That made the podcast worse, <laughs> much like Toll Roads. Well, you want to drink that too, Spencer? <laughs> yeah, I want to give this a shot. I don't know. Spiked with pr- prickly pear cactus juice sounds like an interesting additive for Mountain yeah, Dew. Yeah, go get in there. Already a delicacy. I was afraid to try it by myself. I didn't, I, you know, just in case something happened. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, are you exaggerating, Spencer? Well, that, well, if, the, if the dye in this kills my sperm, at least it has purpose now. That's that's a plus in I, my. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it tastes like it. It tastes like a Mountain Dew melted. <laughs> like that's kind of what it tastes. It's like already liquid. Yeah. No, I know. That's the weird bit, right? Like, Please I, drink this so we can get off this terrible stretch of podcast highway. And like maybe it's got artificial sugar on the back end. That also was kind of like a feeling that I have in my gullet right now. It's not, uh, let's see here. It does have... If I were rating and reviewing these things, that would be like a, any form of dancing or aerobics for me. I don't think, <laughs> no. it, was, I don't think it was quite What if a Mountain Dew was worse? Uh, it has caffeine. Uh, well... Uh, it has sugar. It just has sugar. Oh, well, never mind. Hard five. Anyway, let's get the hell out of this segment. Right. Uh, I need another beer. Let's pay to get off this road. Yes, exactly. And get another beer. What are you cooling off with? I'm trying. <clears throat> I'm going to try with a Prairie Artisan Ale, also from Baz. Thank you very much. This is a Stillwater Rule? This is a, uh, I, this is a Stillwater Rule. I did not try this one while we were down in Oklahoma. This is a Prison Rodeo Hoppy Coffee Ale. Hoppy do, Coffee Do ale? prisoners actually make this? It's a Hoppy Coffee Ale? Yeah. Is that what you said? Wow, okay. All right. I mean, he's trying it. He's drinking it. He's it's, thinking it's about his, his life. Now it's down his throat. I don't think he's thinking about it. Ooh, he looks interested. It's, it's intense. Oh, he's going back for seconds, people. He has mixed feelings about this. Mixed six feelings. <laughs> I like that. I am not wild about coffee as an ingredient in anything. Really? That's a hard five. Whoa. Whoa. That's Gonna the best right coffee ale I've had. Jeez, Bass. Way to pick great beers. Well, that's very different. Yeah, but it's very good. Like it's it's coffee, but it's drinkable. It's, it's not very drinkable. cloying. No, the hops cut the coffee. The hops cut it, and it cut it like in a perfect ratio. I really like this. And Next it, time, Baz, you come you come to Springfield, bring bring a lot of that. And I think what we've learned in this episode is that fuck toll roads, and Baz has exceptional taste in beer. Baz does. <laughs> he really does. Um, okay, Caleb, while you drink that, uh, so we're in Ask Mixed 6, which is, of course, your opportunity to ask us random questions. And boy, do we get some random ones. Mm-hmm. But occasionally, there's some great shit in there. Synergy. And Ken R. has asked us something pretty great this week. So, the most capitalist season is coming, says Ken R. What advice do you have for giving gifts, or what's the worst gift you've received? And 
Our friend from Australia, or Austria, for those of you playing Destiny with us, Maddie <laughs> Gibbons, asks, what is the Australia, worst... Australia, not Austria? Well, um, so she's from Australia. Yes. We refuse to recognize that on the mic. So we talk, we, we, we talk about her as the Austrian. Yes. Uh, yes. Maddie Gibbons has asked, what is the worst gift you've ever received and the best gift you've ever given someone? So it kind Comple- of... Completely unbidden. It seems like at this point we have to talk about yeah, the no gift-giving bit, yeah. right? Okay, so let's fucking talk about this gift-giving bit, right? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to let you jump in, and I want you to know also before we get into this, I've modified the rules slightly, so if it looks like I'm throwing you under the bus, then I guess that plan worked. Great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. Okay, so let's start with let's start with best, right? Okay. All right, so you go first. So my best is that when I graduated uh, grad school, my parents were very kind, and they bought me my car that I'm currently driving. Pretty fucking great. Uh, it's, ob- it's objectively good. But what I find really interesting about this question was the agony I had in saying that aloud. Hmm. Yeah. Because um, I'm really hesitant to put that there as a best, because, like... Um, while it it definitely shows like a degree of caring for me and a degree of sacrifice that I can't fathom. I can't fathom buying a car from somebody else or ever having that much money or ever being that not selfish. Um what why I wanna why I don't want to put it there just like I don't know, it feels like obvious that I needed a car. Like right. it doesn't feel like unique or in terms of novel or like it didn't tell me something about myself that I didn't know this other people knew like there were all sorts of aspects I was figured out I was like putting into the gift giving rubric and I'm like I feel like really bad overcoming that which is like money and like a thing that cost a bunch of money so like I don't know if I'm overthinking or not like I I love my car I'm still driving it I couldn't like exist without it it was an enormous boost to my early life when like dealing with a crappy used car like I had for the years before that would have been a huge burden. So it's objectively the best gift I've ever gotten. But I feel like you are overthinking guilty it. putting it there. You like, are overthinking it a little bit, but that's kind of like what you do. It's kind of like why we have a podcast. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like it, it would it, the the Caleb Stokes move is to get a gift like that and be like, should I get a gift like that? You yes. know what I mean? Do I really deserve it? Right. And so like, no, I think it's the right thing to put there. Similarly, so I kind of put two things here because I wasn't where to sure where to come sure where to come down on mm-hmm. this type of thing. Because one of them is just like that's the fucking coolest, and one of them is like, wow, that's like that's solving a big problem for me. So quickly, the solving a big problem bit. And this may or may not make sense. Uh, well, it'll make sense to the two of you because you've both written long projects. So I was in the middle of my dissertation. I was fucking stuck, and I couldn't get anywhere. Um, and I just – sometimes weird things will trigger breaks in writer's block. You know what I mean? Like at one point when I was stuck on my dissertation, I literally changed pen colors, and it felt like the whole world had opened oh, yeah, up in front of yeah. me. Yeah, I need a different journal now. That's right. Like, I, I went from writing in black to writing in blue, and yeah. it was the most productive day of my life, except for – so fucking dumb. Right. We're all dumb. Yeah, we are. But it is what it look. Look, look. It is what it fucking is. You know what I mean? Like it's the truth. You know what I mean? Like weird things unblock you, Mm -hmm. right? One of the things that has unblocked me the most. My dissertation had like taken a turn. My advisor was like, "We should start over," and I was like, "We should, (laughs) we should slit our throats," you know. uh, Brandy, you know, who at the time we just moved, she'd taken a job she like was crazy about, but like didn't pay terribly well, and she saved and she saved and she saved. And Christmas morning, I woke up and she'd purchased me a new MacBook Pro. And going from my old, you know, six year old white plastic MacBook 
to a new MacBook Pro, there was something about just interacting with that ma- machine that made it fun to sit down at a computer again. Yes. And I wanted to sit down and work yes. on stuff. And it really kind of like moved the needle for me in terms of enthusiasm around working on this project. Is it the shoes in this case? Yes. Yes, it, it was absolutely the shoes. was the shoes, right? <laughs> and so, so that one, in terms of just utilitarian value, that one probably has the most value to me. In terms of just like this yeah, is Yeah, I think most, on best were like utility. Right, like, right. Which... Feels like the most adult answer ever. Most like, fucking I really need socks, and right. you gave them to me you when I needed the most. You got me socks. <laughs> Thank you. Most fucking fun out of the blue gift I ever received. So in like seventh or eighth grade, I don't know. Pick pick one of those two. Um, my parents gave me the Who's Tommy album, and I was like, the fuck. Like <laughs> it's nineteen ninety eight. People, I don't give a fuck. And my mom gives me Tommy. I wish you, like, I hope you actually said that before the other. No, I totally came. did because I was like, "Cool, I don't know who the fuck this is." And mom's like, "Oh, okay. Well, it's their big like kind of like rock opera about a pinball wizard." And I was like, mm, "Okay." And then we go downstairs. They'd fucking bought me a pinball machine, and there, sitting in our basement, is the Twister pinball machine. Mm-hmm. And in a seven, you know, in seventh or eighth grade, thirteen, you're thirteen, fourteen years old, having a pinball, being able to call your friends and say, "I just got a fucking pinball machine." It's like the same thing as things like, I just got an elephant and you get to ride him. You know what I mean? It was like the fucking coolest thing. My parents did the same thing for the car because they have a car I absolutely hate, which is a Honda Element, which I won't talk about because that's a later this was a mistake. Um, but they told me they were going to give me the ele- Element, which was like still a car that was way better than my car, but I never load. They make and model of car more than a Honda Element. So they really just, it was really just a sick game to watch me fake enthusiasm and gratitude <laughs> until they gave me Dirty. the real gift. It was really dirty. Uh, yeah, Ross? Um, the best gift I've ever gotten, I, I know. Barry Goldwater's cheaper <laughs> No, actually. Oh, shameful. Uh, it's Mifune, the Bearded Dragon. He's uh, the fucking coolest. I got him for Christmas in 2000. He in Right wow. now, the Bearded Dragon is 17 years old. That would so. explain why when I went Almost. back to your room to take a phone call, it looks like he was dead. Yeah, because he, he sleeps. He right. sleeps like 23 hours a day. Yeah. Uh, Not unlike producer Ross. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Uh, shots fired. I'm rising. Zing. Shots fired. Zing. Maybe I will edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't. Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, I also know the best gift I've ever given. Uh, Get in there. Uh, which is an AeroPress coffee maker. You know, the... the oh, yeah. Uh, my brother fucking loves coffee. He is addicted to it. Sure. And he, like, most of the time I give him a gift, he's like, yeah, whatever. But, like, this... The, he, he's... Weird. He, he is not one to mince words. Yeah. He will He will be honest to a fault. But, like... <laughs> like what, most jerks. <laughs> <laughs> He's my older brother. It is his duty to be like, I. you have limits, and right. these are, right. I will define them for you. Yeah. Uh, but when I give him the AeroPress, he's like, oh my God, I love this. And he <laughs> still uses it. So, like, yeah. uh, that's I that that's the one Christmas gift I can think of off the top of my head that, like, it has had a noticeable difference in that person's life. It's awesome that you did that, and I'm not going to talk about good gifts that I've given, because yeah. I've probably given none. So yeah, I'm really bad. <laughs> yeah. In terms of I struggle with gifts. I spend hours, like, like I spend a lot of time trying to You're way that. better than, than I ever will yeah, be. Like, I think it's about It's very it. heartfelt. Like, yeah. Uh, so let's move on to bad gifts or worst gifts that you've received <laughs> or given, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? 
What the fuck? What the fuck? I that's just, that's my favorite gift that you've been given. That's right. That's right. Yeah, hands you down. It's you not the worst. It's just the most. What the fuck? It's Barry Goldwater's Thunderbird engine fan. What the fuck? It was. It was so good. It's on a wooden board, an inch thick. It like, might be the most invaluable thing I've ever seen. I mean, I could kill someone with it. Like, I, I can't put a value on it, and neither can antique shops. So I can't think of the resellers. worst. I've yeah, given. like if if you kill an intruder with Barry Goldwater's T Bird fan. <laughs> And that's what get that's what makes you believe in God you know, right there. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, myster- mysterious that, ways. That right there is yeah. the whole plot of a season of Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> that you kill someone with Barry Goldwater. They, that that's Chekhov's gun. Yeah, I don't. Right. I don't have bad gifts. I have what the fuck gifts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. Caleb. All right. So my grandfather uh, was a man who always gave us cash. Which, based on my gift card rant, you know, I'm all for that. But near the end of his life, he would eat every meal he ever ate at Bob Evans. <laughs> Breakfast, lunch, dinner, every day, yeah. seven days a week. Got physically angry if we took him to restaurants that weren't Bob Evans. Yeah. Horrifically harassed all the waitresses. By the, Bob Evans waitresses, if you're listening and you had old Clyde, I'm sorry on behalf of all of my family, all of, all of masculinity, humanity. I can't say sorry enough. Um, at some point, he stopped giving us cash, and he started giving us Bob Evans gift cards Brilliant. that he would just buy while he was out. It's so, vertical integration. So, to the point where I'm just like, why not just give me the cash? You had the cash to to buy the car. So he would just give us Bob Evans gift card. Now, there is now a point, which we hit while he was alive, that... Bob Evans was no longer in Springfield. We would have had to have driven hundreds of miles to go using Bob Evans' gift card. And he did not stop. He kept, to the end of his days, giving Sarah especially, because she loved him so much, which he was convinced of based on no one telling him anything of the sort. Uh, He would give Sarah and me $50. We had $100 to Bob Evans that we could not and frankly did not want to use. What happened to them? Uh, we eventually came up with a sort of intricate trade system where we would re-gift them to, like, a great-grandmother and Sarah's family in exchange for gift cards they didn't want to, like... Olive Garden? Uh, yeah, to, like, places we could actually go eat. It became this sort That's of... under startup business model. Trade brilliant. your gift cards. Oh, yeah. fuck. Undergarant gift, gift card, card economy. Yeah. Exchange, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Bob Evans' gift cards were pretty terrible. I don't, I don't want Caleb to fool you on this. One time in college, I took Caleb and Joel McLeod to a Bob Evans expressly to get their spaghetti. <laughs> and when the woman told us that they no longer serve spaghetti, we left and walked across the street to a Shoney's. So, just... <laughs> I don't even think we said anything. Nope. Uh, as I remember it, we just... Sort of stood up and yeah. went straight to the. That's door. right. So I haven't done worst gift because I don't. I don't think anyone in my family listens to this thing, which would be right of them. And, <laughs> and frankly, I hope some of them don't. Well, Grandpa's dead, so he's either not listening or always. See, listening. and that's safe for you, right? <laughs> but I'm, or totally unsafe. Uh, on the off chance, <laughs> going to haunt your ass, right? On the off chance, I did think it before I said it, so I was basically screwed either way. On the off chance that people are listening, I didn't want to do worst, but I will do weirdest. So the weirdest gift I've ever received in sixth grade, my grandma got me a didgeridoo from Austria. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not a little one, not like a oh, your first didgeridoo, like a seven foot long. <laughs> hollowed out cactus didgeridoo 
I mean, that's okay as a as a starter weird gift, but like I see a hair dryer from the forties on my no, head. but wait, but like, wait. So here's what happens: like I walk into her living room, and like Grandma and Grandpa are like excited to show me this, and my mom's like trembling with excitement for me to see it. Oh Jesus! And I open up, yeah. I open up a box of what looks like the world's <laughs> biggest flute, and I'm like. Okay. And they're all like, no, it's a didgeridoo. Like, I should know that. And then she got me this really wonderful uh, CD on how to play the didgeridoo, which is just (laughs) blow your lips together as fast as possible. And when you get tired, it will make different noises. That's how you play a didgeridoo. There's a good Aphex Twin song called Didgeridoo. Sure there is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's a good everything called... There's a good everything except for instruments called didgeridoo. How old were you? Sixth grade. So, like, I don't know. whatever. Twelve. You were really into circular breathing? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, were you going to go atop the spirit rock and kinda, sing the world down? Yeah. What were you doing? My yeah, no, it's a different thing. Like with with the fucking Barry Goldwater thing, it's in defiance of me. It's like, yeah, fuck it. I don't like. Right. I dare you to have emotions about this. I don't like. I'm doing this to troll you. I don't give like, a shit. I don't even know that she was like. They don't. Me. He doesn't expect me to like read a biography of Barry Goldwater. Like, I think she. <laughs> I think she was. I like, like how you and your dad is just like this Sherlock Moriarty. Well played, old man. I, I think that she was. The, she had this like vision in her head that she would give me this didgeridoo and I would spend hours a day learning how to go and I would go to my like middle school band teacher and be like I know I've been playing the saxophone but what could really set this John Philip Sousa piece off would be more didgeridoo. Isn't that true, though? Yeah, yeah. Like in the middle of in the middle of this classic just solo, some tribal shit, man. Oh god, that fucking episode of Letterkenny with the didgeridoo at the church. Oh uh, god. So, anyways, uh, those I'm are crying. those are the best and or worst and or weirdest gifts heart. we've ever received. <laughs> On that note, it's time to grab more beers. It's time Thank to grab another that topic. Question, that was people. a great topic, <laughs> yeah. and Maddie, and we'll be back on the other side. Spencer, what are you drinking while your wife circles the table taking pictures of us because she refuses Brandy. to be on the mic? She is here, but she won't talk. So she's just going to take pictures of us to make us uncomfortable. So that's I'm cool. not uncomfortable at all, yeah. Spencer. Yeah, definitely. So this is uh, also a Baz offering. This is from Bitter Sisters Brewing Company. Baz Hype. Legitimately not a brewing company that I've heard of. No. So this is super exciting for me. What, um, what is the name again? Bitter Sisters, which is a really good name for a brewing company. I've also had that one. I'm, I'm, I'm a very big fan of it. Oh, okay. So cool, cool, cool. So hashtag Stillwater Rule, which is, I think, yeah. something we should try to start pushing on, on Twitter. It's the Hissy Fit Meritzen Lager. Going to try it live. All right. Now I'm live narrating that, as usual. He is sipping. He's very intent on it. He's looking down at it. He's still looking down. He's, he's contemplating reality. That's life. pretty good. That's okay. a really drinkable beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably a kickball. For that's me. exactly what I said. Yeah, I'm like this is a kickball or, or four because we hadn't come up with the rating system yet. Right. God, last episode it was all twos. And yeah. Now this Producer is all Ross, fours. You want to try this? Yeah. Sure. This is a super drinkable Meritzen. That's, that's what you get with a Baz episode. So Meritzens are typically in the Oktoberfest style. Well, category. I'm sorry, I couldn't bring better beers. <laughs> so salty. Uh, and so it's a little bit sweet on the front end. It's a light drinker. Um, I really like how uh, I could have four or five of those. Is what I'm saying. 
So good on these people. This is actually born in Oklahoma, brewed in Texas. I have no idea what that packaging means. But again, thank you to Andrew Baswell and Holly Hasenfranz, Hotel Hotel. Hotel Hotel. Uh, for this wonderful offering. And Keep on that operator. note, Caleb Warren, armchair director, what are we talking about? Well, Sean, notice me senpai. That's how he wants to be referred to. Right. That's not us. Uh, right. Says, what are your top three most disappointing movie franchises? Anger from a declining quality isn't enough to qualify. There had to be sequels, reboots, and or spinoffs that left you feeling so apathetic towards the brand that you questioned whether the thing you loved was ever really that good in the first place. So normally I would jump in here because I want to win these types of things, but I feel like based on the notes that I'm seeing in front of me, you have a thing that you want to say first before you have to get into the list. We usually do honorable mention. My honorable mention at this point is that I picked literally everything Spencer picked including the honorable mention. I right. just didn't type it down. That's right. First. Ah, sounds he, like made it to the, he made it to the notes document before I did. Yep. So uh, I got nothing but hot takes here. Right. Nothing but real edgy picks. Yeah. So I love that because like when I saw... Because I don't want to just say, yes, I agree. I do. When I saw your comment come through, I was like, oh man, I feel bad. And then I was like, wait a minute, you started the document and you could have put that shit down 1.0. Well, I'm busy. Yeah. I'm a busy person. Clearly, when you were making the show note document. I got, I got Bob Evans cards to trade out still. Got, got some, got some Destiny 2 to play. Yeah. We already documented their history. Caleb. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in with a bonus pick here. This isn't a top three for me, but uh, admittedly, I struggled with three and four. So I'm going to give you a bonus pick. Bonus pick for me is the Pirates of the Caribbean yep. stuff. Oh, yeah. I saw the first one in theaters. I think with you, actually. I yeah. Think we saw the first one in theaters, like, way back when. I think my exact review was, that was pretty good for a movie based on animatronic kids' rides. There we go. And then two was not good right. for a movie based on animatronic kids' rides. It was actually pretty disappointing. So, uh, but, and then but, it got bad. But to, to be true to the question, I don't spend much time on this because it's a bonus pick. I saw two, and I was like, oh, my God, what happened? And then I thought, wait a minute. Was one like that, too? And then I went back and rewatched it, and I was like, oh, that's kind of been the thing they've been doing the whole time. I just It's just the, getting worse. That's right. I just like the first one because it wasn't that bad. So it's Was probably, it three or four that a woman turns in 50 foot tall and then turns into a wall of crabs? I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Yeah. I, I, that that must be one of them. I, I only saw three. Watching. At yeah. least one Up of them, three. a woman so. turns so into so a, a both sea of, of crabs. Both of our bonus picks. Caleb's bonus pick, if you if you don't remember, was complaining Your about the fact that I beat him to the to all of these good choices. Yes. So if this were a mixed six mock draft, hashtag, hashtag MSMED, yeah. I would have already won. I'm not even going to contest this. Right. One. But we've, we've done bonus picks. So let's jump into your number three worst franchise. And I'm so... God, I hope... Because the Harry Potter thing didn't go as I wanted it to go. I'm hoping the hot takes you've put on this list go as poorly as I hoped the Harry Potter thing would for you. So number three for you. All right. Number three for me is The Punisher. Which I don't think is a bad pick, to be clear. Caveats. Yeah. So I really like uh, John. Is it Bernal? Bernthal. Bernthal? Yeah. Uh, I really like the him. Netflix one. Yeah. yeah, I really like him in season two of Daredevil. Uh, flawed in some instances. He should have mini gunned all those ninjas in the last episode instead of one sniper shot. It's the Punisher. He mini guns garbage. Um, but it was very stabby. It was very nihilistic. It was what the Punisher should be. But don't know if they're going to pull it off in the show because apparently it's impossible to adapt. 
i.e. Thomas Jane, i.e. Dolph Lundgren. No one's done it. I, no one's done it well. Wait, are you are you slamming the Dolph Lundgren portrayal of yes. the Punisher? Yes. Correct. Yes. He's like naked. Actually, actually, more to the yes. point. I think we, <laughs> yes, I am. I think what? we've slammed the Dolph Lundgren yeah. Punisher on this podcast before. The, the, the fact that they don't get it, and I think it's just, I worry, do they get the Punisher and they realize that he is a monster and that he is a thing you have stories around and not a story about? Or is it just the fact that the Punisher was good because Daredevil season two was ostensibly about Daredevil, right? And the thing they had the story about was the monster that is the Punisher. Uh, like that's the thing. Like, yeah. do they realize that that's what the character's about, and so they will make the show about that? Because right. if they don't, and they try and humanize Frank Castle, who's the biggest mass murdering serial killer, which I think on I, actually, Earth, I think they've already gotten out of the way. That in Daredevil. is, and I'm right. hoping so. Yeah, because that would be the mistake. Right. The the way to make the character amazing would be you make it a slasher fic yeah. only. Like all slasher fix, you want all the characters to die. Right. Only this time, all the characters you want to die actually deserve to That's die, right. and the Punisher's the one who does it. You, you make it like the introduction to the Punisher and Daredevil, where all you see is a room full of mobsters just absolutely fucking I yeah. mean, slain. You They're know Jason I mean? movies, right. but you root for Jason like you normally do. Yeah. You don't have any guilt about it, That's though. right. That's like, right. Okay, so number three on my list... Uh, and this is kind of in the vein of Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm going to be totally honest with mm-hmm. you. Uh, Transformers. So I saw the first Transformers movie, and I think that, look, I've made some Michael Bay mistakes on this podcast. I think we can all admit. Ooh, boy, okay. have you. Everyone shut the fuck up. Okay, I get it. <laughs> but, like, the first Transformers I watched, and I was like, look, all things being equal, I enjoyed the shit out of that movie. Not agreeing with that part of your pick. Fair. Agreeing with Transformers in general, but I did not like the first one. Okay. I, I saw the first also, one. Also, I think we saw it together. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah. And I was like, that like that was kind of fun. And I think more than anything, I was impressed with the articulation of the transforming, which happens throughout the film. I was like, well, that, no, that... Man, that, look at those joints. That is probably the order in a which... a big range of movement. One would unpack themselves from being a Camaro to now being... <laughs> I got ready with that one. To now She's being not on mic, but I know. I got ready with that one. Camaro. That's absolutely right. It's like, oh, well, that would be where the headlight goes. You know, that is a nipple. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, I was, like, fairly impressed with the articulation of the whole thing. And, for what it's worth... I thought the casting was, like, spot on. So you cast, like, the most annoying kid in the world, Shia LaBeouf, right? You were like, oh, even Stevens is sarcastic sometimes. And Megan Fox, who it's like, oh, well, okay, she can run. You know what I mean? (laughs) She has two legs. That's your criteria? So, like, yeah. Put her in the movie, you know? Do you really think that was the criteria and not like she looks great in a miniskirt? It it is the criteria because Mm. there are plenty of opportunities to cast people who can run. For example, Maggie Grace in Lost. Mm. Maggie Grace in anything. Good runner. No, she's a terrible runner. She looks like like Phoebe and Friends. Like she's never learned how to run. She flails. So it's like Megan. Maybe Fox, I don't like, know how to run. I'm hustling when I'm running. Well, obviously, okay, oh, <laughs> look at the dodge. Do you remember pick, what yeah. Tybo was like? Yeah. You know. So I tried to suppress <laughs> that. So I feel, I feel like I feel like Transformers. The first time I was like, yeah, okay. But now it's a garbage franchise. Okay, we we all get that. Thank yes. you, Mark Wahlberg and Michael Bay. Uh, what's number two on your list? Hotter pick, Judge Dredd. It is a hot pick, not the Carl Urban one. So just one of them then, but the Carl Urban one for different reasons. So read the comics, really loved them, loved the satire of it. Sylvester Stallone killed my enthusiasm for maybe life, maybe comics. I still haven't recovered. It's so terrible. Uh, Stallone killed it more than Rob Schneider. What he would? They were in it together. Right. Like I can't separate the two. Like yeah. if the poison has other poison in it, I, I don't blame one poison more than the other poison. Mm, like maybe. it's a cocktail of uh, awful poison. Um, then New Dread came out, 
I thought it was one of the most brilliant action takes on one of the best comic book series that's right. ever been done. Right. It was the and, raid with Carl Urban. Yeah, and that's everything I ever wanted, and I loved it to death, and it failed spectacularly in the theaters. It was all, yeah. So that was the thing. The, the premise of the question was, made you feel apathetic toward the brand you questioned, whether the thing you loved was really that good in the first place. I'm like... Is the thing I love, like Judge Dredd, is it even worth bringing it to screen? That's like, fair. I saw them do it poorly, and of course it was wrong. But then I saw it do it perfectly, and it was still wrong. No, I'm with well, you. that I means the bad. audience is wrong, and fuck the audience. And I am better than everyone. You yes. are. Thank Jeez. you, Producer Ross. It took Thank us 20-something episodes to get there. We finally but arrived. But now it's on the, the mic. Truth. Captured in audio recording. <laughs> you fucking cows. Right. You fucking sheep. Calm, calm down. <laughs> I, I probably had a Professional little Professional as fuck. <laughs> uh, okay, number two on my list. Less of a hot pick, more of a, well, yeah, duh. Resident Evil <laughs> is a thing that, like, as a, as a young kid, like, playing video games, I mm-hmm. couldn't have been more excited about. I love the films, but for all the wrong reasons. That's right, exactly. So right. I completely agree. They're not the right. wrong reasons. They're the great They're the antithesis of the Resident Evil game Bingo. Reasons. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah I am not tense that a dog's going to jump through a window at any second. Right. I, am, like, I can't wait for that dog to jump through a window so Mila Jovovich so can do, like, a karate kick. It's, it, they have taken all of the things, the, the unique things. But they've things, been consistent. Yeah, the that's awful. Right. That's yeah. right. Yes, that's correct. They they have been consistently disappointing and awful. So the thing I've always been looking for is the is the tension, the anxiety that a Resident Evil game brings to the video game atmosphere. And instead, what they did is they cast Mila Jovovich, and they were like, "How how much can we make this feel like a ripoff of The Matrix and get her to do crazy shit in front?" I feel of the like camera? they got into the first cutscene, and then they got into the cheesy like bad translated dialogue of Jill like, sandwiches. You're, you're the master of unlocking right. and they're like no we got this we don't have to finish this well, no, the why, game. Well, don't worry so, about like, that let's, there's some horror elements and it's as cheesy as humanly possible right that like they they got all of the <coughs> contingent elements of a resident evil game which could be interesting right like the zombie poisonous element yeah they fucked that up because those they, they just look awful right the <coughs> tension anxiety element nah it's mostly just going to be like weird action scenes they took uh, it's not unlike the conversation we've had about True Detective in some way. Try to reduce the thing to its lowest common denominators and then reproduce those in all the wrong ways. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of what happened there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's number one? Actually, I know what's number one on your <clears throat> list, and I am so excited for you to say this on a microphone. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I don't feel bad about it. This is my least hot take. Get in there. Um, Star Wars. Uh-huh. Star Wars. That's all you're going to say? Look, I watched the original trilogy. I loved it because it was a paucity of nerd things. I lived in a nerd desert, and it was water. Mm-hmm. And I was very thrilled to mm-hmm. drink from that hoof bottle. Mm-hmm. And then the prequels came out, and I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever fucking seen. And then I revisited 4, 5, and 6. I'm like, don't do this. Wait. Stop. They weren't that good either. Stop what stop They're what just kind of baked over hero stories. So stop I'm what like you're I understand them historically. I appreciate them historically and what they've done for film. No. Nope. But no, nope. I'm not wild about Star Wars in general. I can't I what I'm about to say, look, what I'm about to say is going to come off a little bit harsh, and I don't want it to, so I'm telling you that I don't want it to be harsh. I've known you long enough to know that this is going to be the harshest thing you say all episode, okay. so like you prefaced it. We got it. Great. Okay, good. <laughs> then then I don't feel bad saying I hope you fucking burn it. Okay. <laughs> so like, here's the bit about that. Um, I get that the prequels were garbage. We've talked about that at length. We and all of nerd have talked about that at length. Yeah. The prequels were not so bad that they made me revisit whether or not I thought the original trilogy and frankly, everything to follow 
I, I think the prequels go bad. They went back in time and ruined things for me. I think me. you're so wrong about this. Is not a reverse time fucking thing. This is like that is not. This is not <laughs> some Stephen Moffat Doctor Who shit. Okay, this is this is not. Well, Look, I'm already going to hell because I admitted I didn't like Grandpa's Bob Evans cards. So I really have nothing to lose here. Uh, I'm not wild about Star Wars. I'm pretty disappointed in them in general as a result of the prequels. The new one has me feeling somewhat hopeful. Because they remade the best parts of four, and I liked that. But again, like one out of seven, and three Midlands, and then three some of the worst filmmaking I've ever seen. Like what you're still going Rogue for one? meh. Oh, Rogue One was fantastic. Yeah. So that's true. That's true. Uh-huh. I, I mean, it's on the upswing. But if we're going by sheer numbers, we're two for eight. That's I, not a passing grade. I you're going not, by sheer numbers. I'm yeah. not. I'm not going to take apart everything that you just What's said. What's your number one? In terms of Star Wars films, yeah. oh. so uh, like oh, oh, on this list, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, number one for me, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. uh, now, okay, you went back in time on this one? No, I didn't at all. Uh, so this, you're talking about the reboot only? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the originals, the live action films. Yeah, you didn't enjoy the live action films when no, you were a kid. I did when I was eight years old, and now at 31, I'm looking at these. No, no, no. Just, you're okay. literally doing the exact same thing you just accused me of. First off, you just said you don't like Star Wars, so you don't get to be outraged at me. <laughs> oh, okay? okay. It's sacrosanct. That's huh? a sub point. All B right. sub point. Okay. <laughs> at 31, I look back on the original three, th- original three TMNT films, which I fucking loved at nine years old. I called Pizza. Wait, Hut, even the time traveling one even turtles in time teenage mutant Ninja troubles number three where they go back to feudal japan because of a magical fucking scepter. hey don't pretend we didn't all see turtles in time get that's on right. with the that's argument right. i saw it and i'm like that's really that, okay okay yeah right. um the the opening scene to secrets of the use which is teenage mutant Ninja turtles number two i know which one secret of the use is clearly <laughs> is like hands down one of the most entertaining scenes of all of the things that i watched as a child right when ernie reyes jr is in that like underground mall and they're fucking fighting with sausage links against the foot clan okay i love that shit but now as i think back on it like so first and foremost the first teenage mutant ninja turtles movie is not a teenage ninja teenage mutant ninja turtles <laughs> movie jesus christ it it's like a Dostoyevskian thought on what it means to be alive. Oh, God. What do you, do you the bathtub? Jesus Christ. In the farmhouse? Yeah, the farmhouse. That's scene. the most existential That's shit from ever. the black and white Eastman and Laird comics, and it's actually like when it was about an existential, like, who am I as an outsider in society? But, but I understand, because Michael Bay, your Superman savior, there we go. was so shitty at his job, he went back in time and ruined those films here, for here, you. I totally get that argument, because I just made here's, that argument. Here's how I can prove to you that that doesn't matter to me. I've not even watched the Michael Bay Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles films. <laughs> I don't know if they're that bad because I assume are. They, they are. are. They certainly And because are. as I think back on the fondness of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in my childhood. Mix uh, six movie night. I know at, what we're watching. It is in the middle of my, of my childhood identity. I look at that and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I did not need a David Venture Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film, followed by a Brett Ratner Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film, followed by whatever the fuck that feudal Japan shit was. And it just uh, seems to me that all of them missed the mark in weird ways. I just wanted two as close. I thought I gutted you on Batman v Superman. God, I want to show you a Michael Bay uh, movie. Nope. Nope. Not doing That's it. So bad. Okay. I'm busy that weekend. <laughs> all right. I have something to say. One, I'm disappointed in both of you. <laughs> Just really deeply oh, no, podcast for not saying like Godzilla. No, not Godzilla. Godzilla movies. Like, all right, well, that's a whole separate thing. Right, we're tabling that. It is the question. Can you repeat the question? 
Uh, yeah, what are your top three most disappointing movie franchises? Okay, so the number one disappointing movie franchise of all time is not fucking Star Wars. It's not fucking TMNT. Definitely not Star Wars. It's okay. fucking Aliens, and I can't believe you didn't even put that uh, on that. On the, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And you're wrong. Dis- you're I, wrong. I don't agree. You're with wrong. You. You're wrong because of Prometheus. <laughs> yeah, you're wrong. It was garbage. You're wrong. And okay, and Alien I, Three and Resurrection. In fairness, I haven't seen Alien Covenant. Okay, so it doesn't I, matter. I, I couldn't speak. I'd actually Alien seen all three, of but Alien, Alien and Resurrection aliens? and Prometheus. But Alien and Aliens are good. No, yeah, they haven't been ruined for. They were though. retroactively ruined, mm. objectively, empirically, mm. by Resurrection, empirically, and Prometheusly. <laughs> the fucking giant frisbee uh, spaceship, you know, was rolling over the characters, and they run. Away from it directly, not to the side. Right. All right. Ross is. Yeah. Ross is going to have an aneurysm. He's set You're all so wrong. We have to move on before something happens with the literal recording. You not, yes, you're not even. I mean, I think it's already happened at this yeah. point. Yeah. We, we've lost this one, so uh, I'm going to go get another. I'm yeah, going to die like those guys who died in Alien in Prometheus because they had a map, but they didn't use it to get out of the thing. We're going to go to drunk enough, but producer Ross is already drunk enough. <laughs> Caleb, in this, our final segment of this episode, what are you drinking? I am drinking a Bitter Sisters Brewing Company's Busybody Blonde Lager. That's hard to say. A lot of bees. It's really not. Bitter Sisters Busybody. It's really not. (laughs) Sick burn, producer. Oh, that is pretty solid for a blonde lager. Uh, I'm going to give... Is that a Tybo? No. Uh, That'd be a two. This This is a air quotes track. Oh, it's a, a three. three. Yeah. That's our only That's three, three this episode. Yeah. Um, you know, while Caleb kind of Another ruminates, beer, thank you. ruminates on that decision, and, you know, Ross continues to process the mistakes that we've made in the previous segment, <laughs> we do want to take a hot segment in this, our Drunk Enough section, to talk about how this is probably our fourth episode in a row, and our math could be a little bit wrong on this, where other than the beers that producer Ross bought in Indy during Gen Con, every beer that we've consumed has been donated by listeners, friends, fans, etc. And so, not even counting, like, hot takes. Right, and other, exactly. And gains. Right. And, so, so, you know, you so much. we just want to say, you know, and we're going to forget some people in here, but to Dan VK, to Bill Sundwall, to Andrew Baswell, to uh, Adam Thornsberg, Adam Thornsberg, George, uh, Jen and George, uh, Jen and George, George, George. Uh, of eclectic eccentricities. Yeah. Thanks so much for all the stuff that you've given us uh, through Gen Con and other places. It like it means the world to us, not only that we get to do this every week because we've got wonderful backers on Patreon, but also because we have people at this point literally giving us beer to try. Yeah, and, and, and if we've and, left you out, we're so sorry. And also thank you for donating to the Patreon so we could buy the beer right. that is not just explicitly mailed to right. us. That's right. So. so we could pay for some of producer Ross's quality time yes. you know, to put this very thing together. Yeah. So in this segment, which we should probably call Too Drunk, yeah. parentheses yeah. producer Ross. We were drunk enough uh, a segment ago. What, what are we talking about here? Um, yeah. So, um, assuming for a second that we are controlled consumers, which is a phrase that I would like to use to describe us, Mm -hmm. but I think that is like on a good day. You know what I mean? So on one end of that, you've got like, you know, I'm capable of having a few beers, but not a lot of beers, not a binger, as it were. Or, or for example, uh, we play a lot of Destiny, but neither you nor I pay additional money for in-game purchases, like yes. for shaders, etc. We're willing to control some of those impulses. Mm-hmm. Okay, what responsibility, if any, do we have 
to people who lack that kind of self-control? Do, do, do we need to act as a moderating force on that kind of lack of impulse control as a member of a similar community? Yeah. And I'm interested in this, right, not only because the two examples we've identified are near and dear to our current hearts and mm-hmm. livers, um, but also because like, we, we are, we, as a group, kind of defined by our inability to mod- moderate our intake of certain things. Is that even a problem? Like, uh, well, here's why I brought it up. I brought it up the drunk enough. Uh, I apologize. This is all Caleb. Uh, this is thank all you, me. thank you to Caleb H. Caleb Stokes uh, yeah, for the Caleb question. Caleb H. I, well, I started to think Hebanon, okay. like as in Hebanon mm-hmm. Games, and yeah. I was like, oh, well, Caleb H. I don't want to reveal my middle name on do the it. podcast. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Do, do it. you not know my middle name? Absolutely, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, uh, so so a cipher crime. Crime. I'm, I'm going to text Sarah. Just excuse me while I'm on the phone for a hot second. <laughs> You're assuming she would know, which gonna, is a gamble at best. I'm going to reveal this um, to the world. So, uh, here's the thing. Uh, using my examples, which were not uh, regular examples. So, regarding the alcoholic thing, like, I can have a few beers, I can lift home, I can call someone to get me home, I can wait to do it home, um, then I am not, like, getting plastered or going into work drunk or anything like that. I feel almost no responsibility to people who overconsume. Uh, actually, I, I feel literally no responsibility to people who overconsume. I'm sad that happens, and I would have a responsibility to you as a human, but I wouldn't feel a responsibility towards someone as, as someone who drinks beer additionally or also. Besides, like, you are recovering from that, I would not drink in front of you. But I feel a greater degree of responsibility for seemingly meaningless shit like... Should I be playing a game that's got this, like, fee-to-pay, like, pay-to-win mechanic? Like, should I be supporting this? Sure. The other thing that's really gotten me is YouTube lately, after the adpocalypse. Uh, if anybody watches the uh, Vet Ranch channel, which is a lovely man. He is a vet. He saves puppies for a living. And then he sells ads for his videos to both continue educating on how to save puppies for kids who, kids who want to be vets and then to save more puppies. They just demonetized all his videos Jesus. because the bot said surgery is not ad conducive and so more puppies die. And I'm just like, do I watch YouTube anymore? Right. Like, Because right. fuck YouTube. Like... Come on, man. He say he literally saves puppies. Like he is the embodiment of the ASPCA commercial. Like, should I watch anything yeah. about that? Especially all the Destiny videos I watch, which sure. is an embarrassing amount. Like, so that's the thing that I I get on. So like, I recognize that in me personally, and I don't know where it comes from. There's this huge ideological disconnect where I feel far more responsible for seemingly meaningless shit. Yeah, YouTube. Should I pay a fee to play game? Even though I'm not hard invested in it like they want me to be, but right. I recognize I'm enabling other people to be whales and donate money for digital crap they don't actually own. Sure. But, like, does that mean, like, I shouldn't feel anything for the piddly shit? Yeah. Or does it mean, like, I should feel a lot worse about the big stuff? Right. Um, so let me kind of take this question from a slightly different angle and, and let me take it from the destiny angle. Cause that's the one that's probably most immediate to me. Although this puppy business has got me worked up and I'm going to check it out after the fact. I, and I, and I, I'm, I'm loath to check it out. Cause on the one hand, I'll probably just cry about it. And on the other hand, I'll probably end up with like 10 to 12 more dogs. The guy also has a, a channel called the demolition rants. Cause he doesn't rant and You're he literally does like, just he does like guns and that's not demonetized. And he has a video about how messed up that is yeah, too. Yeah. That is fucked up. Like the gun ones, not demonetized. The save puppy ones is like, oh, no, can't have that. I don't like anything about what you've just told me. Yeah, no, it's awful. Um, slight, slight, slight detour then. So 
I don't feel like I have a terrible responsibility to people who pay for and or indulge themselves in thing beyond beyond what I believe is a reasonable amount. Except except and and this is like an odd take on the word responsibility. I do feel a little bit compelled to jump into the fray for or against those people when their economic and or resource investment makes them feel entitled beyond. So let me give you an example of this, right? So Destiny, yeah. um, in Destiny 1, people could bore, pour a bunch of money into buying uh, an in-game currency called silver, and that silver could be used, in theory, uh, to buy in-game items, right? And now on some which of are the, almost all cosmetic, almost all cosmetic. Uh, in Destiny One, they are all cosmetic. are all co- yeah, and but now, not so in Destiny Two, not so in Destiny Two. But but on the Reddit boards around Destiny now, there is like a not so quiet subpopulation of people who have remaining money on the Destiny One servers that they've used to purchase silver, and that silver does not translate from Destiny One to Destiny Two. Mm. And now they're up in arms. Because of course it doesn't. Because now they've spent money on silver that only produces cosmetic rewards in a game that is now outdated. I don't think I've ever I've posted on the Destiny Reddit boards a couple of times, but it's largely been looking for group stuff, like looking for people to carry me yeah. through a hyper competitive PvP format trials of Osiris, because frankly I need the help. But never in terms of like I think you should play the gifts the game this way or that way. But when people do shit like that, the people who are up in arms because they've voluntarily chosen to put money onto a thing, which is for me the the act of over embellishment on this video game to cosmetically reward yourself. I am tempted to jump in in those moments and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You chose to make this kind of decision. And I understand now that it's come to bite you in the ass and I don't love that for you. But also, where the fuck did you think this was going when a capitalistic enterprise video game developer got an opportunity to find another way to charge you additional, not the same additional money, to produce the same kind of response they got out of you the first time they told you, hey, here's a Skinner box, put money in and we'll give you a reward. So I think that for me... When I see those types of interactions, very rarely do I want to paternalistically or maternalistically, whatever you want to say, step in and go, oh, no, child, don't do that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I do want to step in and say, like, wait a minute. You do fucking understand what you're about to do, right? Is it like like willingness to scold? Like, when I have three beers with a podcast or, like, a beer with dinner and, like, like someone else like has a beer and then punches a family member i'm like yeah screw you like yeah but that's mine does nothing to embrace you i'm not like supporting an alcohol industry that keeps you like this is this is specifically on you being an idiot and a jerk that's right there's a difference between you've over imbibed and you're just a fucking but like destiny 2 i'm like i acknowledge there's kids playing it that don't have fully like impulse control uh, or with YouTube, I acknowledge there's people like in the apocalypse that right. have done nothing to deserve it, or, or and like, are being just uh, literally attacked by censorship robots. Right. Um, or and I'm like, do I support that platform? I've, ta- I've talked to a couple of people in Destiny games who have been on. You know, it's their 16th hour playing. They haven't been to work. They're malnourished. They haven't gotten up to go to the bathroom. Like, do I have some social responsibility to be like, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't play right now. You know, <laughs> maybe we should go outside and eat an apple. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And, and like, honestly, like I struggle with that a little bit because, like, on the one hand, am I enabling this behavior? Right, because I'm playing. Right, yeah, right, yeah. and and I'm giving you a platform and I'm giving you a team to go play with. On the other hand, like I I don't ever want to. Well, I, most of the time, I don't I, I don't want to say I don't ever, but most of the time, I don't want to assume that I'm in such a privileged position 
where I feel like I could say, no, I know what is better for you than what you're currently doing. I don't know that I ever want to be in a situation where I feel like that's true because I feel like at that point I've become the, the instance of my ego critique. So here's the thing. I think it's an all or nothing thing, and that's why I brought it up because it's an ideological hole. Like, yeah. I do not yeah. feel any responsibility when I have a bush light for you being a monster right. that needs to be in prison. Wow, Caleb, thank like, you. Like, mm-hmm. not you. Uh, well, deep, hypothetically. Deep cut. I don't know. It's Matt, because I stole your fucking franchise list, It is. It? That's it. Yeah. That's it right there. Yeah. You, were, you were both wrong, so... You know what? You can work your shit out on RPPR after hours. Okay? You don't need to do it here. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, but I don't feel any responsibility for that. RPPR but I do Patreon. feel like... I do feel like some kind of responsibility for, like, I don't know, contributing cents per hour uh, of my attention towards things that, like, well, these people don't have fully developed impulse call, or they're, like, are there being, like... Uh, the scale's so small, sure. but I feel more attached. And is that because... Um, I am just more engaged with the video game thing because it's entirely possible. Right. Because I'm so nerdy. Or is it because uh, I don't want to admit my culpability for the big thing, and it would be a lot easier to discount that one than the responsibility of, you know, like, Destiny 2 pay to win transactions. Yeah, I think there's some I think there's something in there that that it's about kind of like unseating yourself from some grander narrative which is I'm contributing to this like very large machine, yeah. right? Which is dehumanizing or or whatever de something in some yeah, weird yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And instead I can look at these microtransactions and go, "Well, that's fucked up. They shouldn't do that." Mm-hmm. But am I really just an instance of that because I'm kind of supporting the pinwheel, you know what I mean, as it were? Uh, so I'm a little bit with you I on am that. neither whale nor dolphin. I am fish that supports whale and right. dolphin. Right, but, but at some point, right, like, you know, there are in But am I fish that fish. supports, like, alcoholism? Right. Or fish that supports yeah, other dolphins. for every thing. one whale, there's two million fish. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, not, not to run down this ocean metaphor that neither of us totally understand too far. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, but for every two million fish... Can I eight, be plankton? There are eight million krill. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And then there's a SpongeBob. Plankton so. are really important to the ocean's o- ecosystem, by right. the way. And thank like, you, Producer you know, Ross. You know, this episode, <laughs> this episode brought to you by Al Gore. You know what I mean? And, and, and DraftKings. Right. Look, it's just basic fucking marine <laughs> right. biology. Right. And the reef, you yeah, know? Right. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I think that one of my decision rules, and I don't have... <clears throat> Maybe I have more than I think I do. Again, I should go back and listen to all the stuff we talked about because every time we do one of these, I feel like I've I've identified. You'd have to listen to a episode. Any first. episode would probably give me some <laughs> enlightenment be... about who I am, <laughs> but uh, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so um, I feel like a lot of the times what I learn about myself when we're having these conversations is that I do have these decision rules that I don't realize that I have, and one of my decision rules really is: Do I feel like I have unfairly taken the position of someone else and been able to to yield a value judgment about that position? And I often don't want to be in that space because I feel like it lacks principle and it encourages blame. Having said that, he said, identifying a position and now skirting it, sometimes I do think that you can... Virtue signaling son of a bitch. You VS motherfucker. (laughs) I'll edit that. No, I won't. I can't even even fake lie. You know what? It would be tight if every time one of us said virtue signaling, it was like a Kanye West auto-tune. You know what I mean? Like that (laughs) would actually actually be really cool. Um, I do feel like sometimes more than others, I recognize that I probably am contributing to some system which I latently or not latently know is really probably working to exploit the yeah. excessive And I'm not saying that's not true either way. Right. But I'm saying, like, when I throw up my hands, right. why am I okay throwing up my hands for ostensibly the greater societal harm? Right. 
And like talking about like the well, Timmy got mommy's credit card and bought a bunch of exotic emotes right. for his guardian character. Right. So now we're gonna raid with him. <laughs> so now I'm angry about it, and we shouldn't do that. Like. Yeah. I don't have an answer to this. I'd really love to hear it in the comments. I would if, too. If I had a metric for decisions here, it would be this. Look for where your metric breaks. Sure. Because if it's a metric, it's scalable. And I realized that as I was thinking about this issue, my metric is not scalable. It's not at all. It just fucking breaks down yeah. completely oh, across a wide enough thing. Right. And, you know, it's probably not a very good metric at that point, but I don't know what to replace it with or if it should have broken in the first place. No, I'm with you on that. So, But, uh, but I, I will say there is something, at least for me, because as we identified in this very episode, my very principle is to overthink things and then blame myself. Correct. Um, the the principle is like look to where your metric breaks down and then like maybe interrogate that because there's probably some sort of self improvement. And in I'd there. like I, we'd like to know where that line is. You yeah. know what I mean? Like at what point do you feel like you have or don't have some sort of responsibility for other people who are also participating in a thing that you might be? Because like at some in? point I'm like. Uh, Saying it's based on extremity seems like not logically based. No, but like it's not on a human pathos level. Of yeah. course, it's logically right. based. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, of course, I don't want to take responsibility for awful shit. And right. I'm okay to be like, well, maybe I shouldn't support YouTube's negative consumer practices. Right. Exactly. Like, uh, and yeah. So, like, while watching YouTube, yeah. yeah, that's kind of the bit. It's a psychological. But with ad blocker, so it's morally okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> contributing. Yeah. Um, okay, look, if you've been listening to whatever this is for the last number of minutes, thanks so much. That means that uh, you you have been with us for some time and that there, there, are, there are backers like you or not like you, that's totally okay, who have participated and contributed in such a way to get us to this point that everybody would get these six and this sixth free beer. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for all of the time, the energy, the resources, the attention that you've given this podcast and any of the other material that we've put out over nearly the last year at this point, which seems impossible to think yeah, about we're coming up on it yeah That's it's fucking wild. crazy man uh so thanks so much for everything that you need do. those little things that you go yeah the whistling let's face. i thought you were holding up a joint to your mouth no and i was like i, you need I, a, I don't need a joint i need right. the blowy things oh go, okay like, like a, a new year's the little that you do the they, they're like little mini didgeridoos right yeah. and then they blow the they blow they, the, the they thing un, un, unwind yeah no i'm with you on this do you think didgeridoos unfurl yeah i think didgeridoo is like a did you use the didgeridoo your mother so that's a actually actually here's the thing what they gave me was a toy car but i just use didgeridoo like what you call it you know what i mean like it's just a generic yeah okay let's step back wait no all right we gotta get out of the segment wait edit that out edit that out i'm kidding i'm kidding listen if you're not following us on twitter check us out how do you confuse a toy car with a if you're on Facebook, facebook.com slash themix6. Check out our website, www.themix6.com. If you've been listening for this whole time, thanks so much. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. Once again, I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. This has been The Mix 6, and we'll see you next time. Peace.